Right, well, we're just going to take a few minutes this first part of the class to talk. It's going to be specifically for those that are getting ready to go on your internship. You're finished with your classes, and now you're starting your internship at the uh, right after the semester or shortly thereafter. And so I just I have some things I want to talk to you about as far as raising your support. And uh, so I have enough for those that are going to intern and some students. You can you can have them. If anybody else in the class wants this for just for your records, I will be glad to give that to you as well. You can send me an email. And I'll give it to you. But if you are a student, make sure you grab one of these if you pass those around. And then we'll talk about that. Actually, can I have one? <laughs> Thank you. All right. So just a couple things as far as that. Um, first thing you need to do, and many of you have already done this, so this step should be taken care of, I believe, for every student. That, But you need to talk to Jeff and determine the place where you're going to do your internship. And so you need to know your country and the missionary you'll be working with. Like I said, everyone has done that uh, at this point. And then you need to talk with your missionary and create a budget. Many of you have done that as well. But that's the first step because we need that in order to determine how much you're going to be raising. Uh, then you need to talk with Terry Snowd and verify you have an account set up. That should be part of the process. The moment that you uh, turn in your budget, that should be an automatic process. But just verify before you start sending out letters to make sure that the money has a place to go. Um, then you want to sit down and think of as many people as possible, you know, family, friends, and acquaintances that you could send a letter to. And so you really want to just get out a piece of paper and write down every single person, try to get at least a, uh, up to 100 or more is what you would like to do there. Um, and then um, you write a support letter. In the letter, this is key, you want to first uh, tell them what you've been doing. So tell them, be excited about it in the letter, about what you've been doing, how God's been using your life already. And uh, how the through the Our Generation Training Center and different things like that, you've been doing ministry already. And then you want to explain um, what you'll be doing on the internship. Explain uh, uh, what's going on there, and then you'll write the next step is by faith, you are trusting God to provide the needed funds. Now, this is not exact, so it's just a kind of a, a, a general idea. And if you have any questions about this, uh, I'll mention at the bottom, but talk with me about it. Um, ask if they'd be willing to pray for you and if they'd be willing to give monthly or one-time gifts to help with the cost. Ask them if they'd be willing to provide you names or of other people that might be interested in helping someone like you, you know, someone that's interested in uh, missions and helping young people uh, get to the field. Uh, and then you want to send this letter out. Now, this is key that you want to send out at least three different times. So you want to send out the letter at least three different times. So don't just send it out once and then just uh, wait, uh, follow up. I would encourage you to do it over a six-week period, so send it out. Two weeks later, send it out again, and then um, send it out. Modify it a little bit, you know, saying something to the effect of, uh, just as a follow-up to the letter I sent out before, I just wanted to um, send this back out to you, uh, see if you had an opportunity to read it, if you have any questions or something like that. Uh, and again, if you have any questions, uh, I'll be glad to answer those for you. So uh, this, this time of raising your money for the internship, it's hard work. So everyone that's worked hard at it and, and followed this as far as writing the letter, having at least 100 people on their li list and has sent it out and, and followed up those three different times and then also called and stuff like that has been able to raise the money that they need. And so uh, those that have not are the ones that, that have not followed this process. So please get busy at that. Um, talk with me about that. And, um, and the key is to keep in contact with me and let me know if you uh, don't, don't seem to be making your goals. Uh, talk to me early. If you talk to me two days before you're supposed to leave, and you know, then that's not very help. You know, I can't help you at that point. You need to talk to me way before then. So uh, you should be sending those out now. And as you're working on doing that, you know, talk to me, and we'll we'll get we'll modify and do what we can 
uh, to make sure that you're reaching your goals. Any questions on that? Talk about the um, importance of what can they do right now as a student, even though they might not go to internship next year, what can they do that? So uh, you mean uh, those that are not like getting ready to leave? So yeah. as a, as, even as a beginner they student? Okay. Yeah. So um, that would be that's a great idea. So those of you that are not uh, getting ready to leave, but you can still start writing down, thinking about people uh, that you're going. You can keep in communication with them, letting them know uh, right now. So kind of uh, pre-updating them about what's going on, and again, tell them the the things that God is doing in your life and and working on those things. You can start sending those letters out now, uh, which would then prepare them for the time, um, and they'll be involved already in your life and what's going on. So that's, that's a great idea. Any thoughts or questions about that? Anybody have any questions? One key thing with that is make sure that you're doing ministry now, because you, otherwise you won't have anything to talk about, right? I mean, this is going to be a constant thing that you have uh, in, your, in your life. I mean, you want to be serving now. Um, and we've talked about that a lot in missions class. We've talked about that a lot. And, but if you're uh, doing things now, then you have some, you know, that's, that's not why you do them, <laughs> but it's like, if you're, you know, get to the end, you're like, yeah, I was here. I sat in the seat, uh, the whole time. You know, that's, that's not going to, uh, you, then, uh, then, you know, why, why are you here? So you want to be doing things, um, that, you, you know, actively ministering, finding ways. And again, talk to us, talk to the staff, ways that we can get you plugged in. You should be serving at a church somewhere. Uh, but again, talk to us about that. We'll help you any way we can. Any of you that have uh, raised your funds uh, would like to maybe throw out a, uh, an idea. Um, I'll give you an opportunity to do that. Let me say this beforehand. Um, I think every one of you, no matter where you're at, first semester or last semester, every one of you should begin. Um, every one of you should begin a, an email update. It's good for you. Um, and the reason it's good for you, that discipline of writing, that discipline of uh, keeping things in front of you, a lot, God blesses you in a lot of ways and a lot of things happen, but we forget very easily. And writing those things down and thinking through them actually does you good. Uh, you know, sometimes a missionary to write his prayer letter is like, oh man, but then if he's been writing a weekly prayer letter, you know, or email update, then he goes back and looks through that and he's like, oh man, I've got all these things highlighted. And uh, so it's actually good for you. Some different ideas right now. You say, well, I'm serving as a student. I'm not sure if I can, uh, I have a lot of information to talk about ministerially, um, but there is a lot of things. For example, um, you can start a, you know, what, I, what I'm learning from classes would be one different series or what God is teaching me from the Bible would be a different series. Um, you know, maybe different things that I'm learning in the church that I'm serving different series, um, you know, opportunities or countries I'm praying for or lessons I've learned from missionaries. There's a lot of different things you could begin writing down and you just choose one of those. You know, if you write all those topics down, you write three different things in each of them, you choose one per week and you've already got a whole lot. And uh, so this is keeping you in front of the people. Maybe mom and dad are the only one praying for you right now. You know, uh, hopefully you got a grandma praying for you. Who knows if anybody else is, right? Uh, but at least you're keeping them informed. So any of you that have gone on your internship, raise your money, would like to give an idea? Five, four, three. Let me ask those real quick that, are, uh, that have raised money before um, or are a missionary. 
uh, is being a missionary, being a writer, in so many ways, right? I mean, how many time, how much time do you spend writing? So, I thought that was a trick question. No, no. <laughs> but I mean, isn't it? I mean, it's one of the things we have to do. We have to write all the time. And so, like Jeff said, one of the key things that you want to do is get get well, be able to establish your thoughts on paper. I mean, it's one of my biggest struggles, but I have to do it all the time. I have to, and it takes me a long time. So the more you get, the better you are at it, um, and the more you work at it, then the better you'll get at it. And it does all of us good. The discipline of doing something that we might not be good at or enjoy or whatever, we all need to do it, right? Um, you know, the best, the those that are the best at, maybe it's soul winning, you know who they are? Those who do it more. Uh, you know, the ones who learn more in their Bible, you know who they are? The ones who read their Bible more, right? I mean, this is not rocket science. Um, there's, you do more of it, you see more results. He that sows more, reaps more. You know, this is not very difficult. So you attempt, and as you attempt, you know, God will bless that, right? It's amazing. You say, um, God knows who's going to get saved, but it's amazing the more you talk to people, the more people get saved. Isn't that amazing? You know, um, and so whatever you do, God seems to bless your efforts. All right. Um, anybody have anything there during uh, about the internships? There's, I think, two more pages left if anybody needs one. Anything about internships before we move on? Yes, sir. Amen. You could begin building that database right now. You know, um, mom, could you ask, you know, my aunt, if I get her email, I want to start updating her. That, that's a good thing, right? And there are people that are interested and been praying for you. You might not even know them, but where you grew up or your family members or church members or somebody is interested in your life and has been praying for you. None of us arrive anywhere without the prayers and help of a whole lot of people. Right? And so there's a lot of people that are behind you, whether you know it or not. And so praise God for them. Don't overlook them. Um, okay. Anybody else? Something during, uh, about this, about internships? Before we move on, five, four, three, two. Yes, sir. Go ahead. 
random amount of whatever he had left over, he'd just send it. And uh, and I, I wasn't really close to him, you know? We were like 12. Yeah, we were like 12 or 13. I don't know. I don't really know how that works, but, you know? But yeah, like if you're just doing stuff and you're putting it out there, you never know. Like there, there's a whole bunch of churches that have never been to that support us and individuals. So if you're if you're doing God's work and you put it out there, you're giving God the ability to to for other for other people to bless you, and you're and it's it's a blessing for them to be a part of what God's doing as well. So exactly. a lot of people are afraid, like, oh, if you don't want to ask money for yourself, you're not asking money for yourself. You're asking it for the work of God. Yeah. And people want to be involved in the work of God. And like Noah said, people do have a lot of money and extra money, and if they don't give it, if they don't invest it in eternity, they're just giving a bunch of Starbucks or Chick-fil-A or whatever, and it is just temporary. So people, believers, want to invest um, something that's temporary money and something that will last for eternity. So yeah. just give people the opportunity to be involved in what God's doing. Amen. That is the greatest name for lawn business ever. <laughs> How did you think that up? I don't know. Amazing <laughs> grass, how sweet the cut. <laughs> <laughs> Save the yard like yours. <laughs> That's awesome. Amen. Um, okay, anybody else? Five, four, three, two. Um, go ahead. Okay, so when I was raising up support for my internship, I thought about two principles, and both come from uh, James. So one is you have not because you ask not. So every day I would get on my knees and I would beg God to please give me the funds. Because without God, I can do nothing. And so I would beg God for everything. Every day, I'd say, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, if you would like me to go on my internship, continue to grow and become a missionary, uh, I need you to provide the funds. And so I'd ask God. Uh, and, and aside of that, I also went to the other aspect that James gives, or uh, yeah, that James gives is that faith without works is dead. And unless you're asking, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get funds. You're not just gonna be able to sit at home and just kind of type up, you know, hey, I need this money, and then just expect it to happen. You know, you're just gonna write your budget, and then there it is. That's all you got. And then you're just going to have to roll out your bank account and hope that there's enough in there. But you're going to have to ask people. You're going to have to go out and search just like they did. I asked everybody that was in front of me. I was just kind of like, hey, would you consider, would you prayerfully consider supporting me on my internship? And I'd come to find out some people would say, hey, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll think about it. And some people were like, no. And then they ended up supporting me anyway. And some people who said, yeah, I'll support you. And then they didn't support me. So you never know what you're going to get as you, as you do it. But. The biggest principle that I found that helped me was just getting on my knees and praying and asking God to help me. Amen. That's good. Anybody else? Five, four, three, two. We, yeah, was that a, okay? Go ahead. It's better to overestimate than underestimate whenever it comes to Christ. Um, I, I've known some people that uh, have gotten into debt going on that internship because they the desire to get involved in the ministry is uh, great, and I'm sure you guys are like me. You want to get involved in the ministry, but if you're raising the minimal amount, uh, then you're going to be seeing everybody else chip in, uh, and if you don't have the funds because you're under-supported, you're not going to be able to do much. Uh, so I just say uh, calculate that in, and uh, just listen to Ty uh, about that. I don't know the rules on money raising and stuff, but uh, just don't go under-supported. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, now, the blessing has that over many years, things have been uh, whittled down and uh, um, thankfully perfected. And uh, Ty wants to help you make sure that you raise the needed amount and that you raise all the needed amount. And uh, so we thank the Lord for that. So a lot of things have been done. It's been structured in such a way uh, to help 
make sure that you send out the letters, make sure that you raise the funds, make sure that you're prepared, that you have all the orientation part of it. And uh, so it's thank the Lord uh, a lot, you know, prepared and ready. And there's somebody who's going to help you through it. All right. Um, anybody else? Five, four, three, two. All right. Uh, good. Learn how to manage the little bit of money that you have now before you start raising money, because that's extremely important. If you're not, if you're not managing, you may think, oh, I just work at Cracker Bro, I just work at uh, um, Chick-fil-A or whatever, and I don't have a lot. But learn how to manage what you do have. Learn how to be a giver now. Look for opportunities to give and learn how to be wise stewards of what you have now, because that's going to carry over to after whenever you get a lot of money for your internship or whenever you get a lot of money on as a missionary, it'll all factor in. So work on your character now and make sure that you have integrity and make sure that you are a wise steward of what little that God has given you. Amen. That's good. Amen. It's very good. Remember Luke 16, 10, he that's faithful with little, be faithful with much. In other words, if you're not faithful with little, how can God entrust you with much, right? And we all want more. Lord says, if you're faithful with what I have given you, and uh, so be faithful, um, you know, and that, that's a very good point, strong point. All right, anybody else? Five, four, three, two. All right, go to John chapter number eight. I'm going to, uh, let me share one little quick thing with you, and then I'm going to hand this over to Nate and Emily, and, uh, and you all share with us. Um, John chapter number eight, and this is uh, something that um, the Lord has uh, given me in the last couple of days. I've been privileged and blessed to be out in a a lot of different places uh, representing uh, Vision Baptist Missions. I just came back from uh, Southwide and then began a uh, preaching and missions conference last night. And as I'm on the road, I get to speak with a lot of pastors and a lot of uh, people, and I'm very thankful for that. And uh, God has been very gracious to us and uh, a lot, allowed a lot of blessings, a lot of storm behind, a lot of beautiful sunrise in front. And so I'm very grateful for that. Um, John chapter 8 and uh, you remember the story, so context-wise, uh, this is the lady who was caught in the act of, of adultery, of sin, which is an amazing thing, just to think about that. There were people that were lying at the catch. They were lying right there waiting. You know, like, how absurd that they can catch somebody in the act unless they're waiting. And there's always people ready, and so they come to the Lord and try to trip him up as well. And there's always, um, the devil's always looking for things to try to trip you up as you serve the Lord, right? And so uh, verse number five, uh, John chapter eight and verse number five, now most in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? So the, here come these religious, the Pharisees, Sadducees, all this religious crowd. They're like, hey, Jesus, what are you going to do now? She's been busted. I mean, and so they believe they proverbially push Jesus against the wall. He's got to react. He's got to say something. They're going to force his hand. So look what happens, verse number six. They said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus, look what it says. But Jesus stooped down with his finger. What did he do? He wrote on the ground as though, look at this next part, as though, what does it say? He heard not. There's always going to be something, someone, in some circumstance or something that the devil's going to use to push your back against the wall and force your hand to make you act or react and make you go overboard on what's happening. You know, it's never as bad as you think it is. And the opposite way it goes as well. It's never as good as you think it is either. 
It's right there somewhere in the middle, right? You think, everybody loves me. Not exactly. Everybody hates me. Not exactly. Everything's horrible. Not really. Everything's the best ever. Eh, I don't know about that either. You know, like it's never to any extreme. But when they push Jesus against the wall, this is a 1 Peter chapter number 2 principle that even the Lord in 1 Peter chapter number 2, that he left us, remember this, he left us a, an example of how to walk. But he re, when reviled, he spoke not back. This time, when they spoke to him, he stooped down. And it says, as though he had not heard. Now, let me ask you, did he hear? Of course he heard. I mean, he's Jesus. Like, it wasn't like, uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I have my AirPods in. What, what did you just say? You know, like, it wasn't like, you know, there was such a big noise out there that he didn't hear. He did hear, but he didn't go with the distraction. And in life, there's going to be so many things that try to distract you. Everything in this world wants your attention. And sometimes they're not bad things. Now, they can be bad things, but they're not always bad things. Sometimes they're good things, but they distract you from the path that God has placed you on. So I ask you a couple questions. One, has God placed you on the path that you are on? You say, well, I made my decision. Who gave you the open door? Who gave you the wisdom? Who gave you the opportunity or whatever? Who put you on the path that you are currently on? If it's God, that's the answer, because James chapter 1, verse number 17, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above. If God puts you on that path, do not let your feelings, do not let your foes, do not let anything else in this world take you off the path that God has placed you on. It's amazing that in the life of Nehemiah, he said that they come up, they, they went up. And also that when Sanballat and Tobias tried to get him out, he said, I'm not going to go down. So God put him to go up and God said, I'm not going to put you to go down. Let God lead your steps, but stay on the path that God has given. But you have to learn to be a master, um, how could I say this, um, of avoiding distractions because they come up like crazy. They're like those little gnats. Have you ever, you know, the, the gnats in the summer that just like bug you and you're like, duh, duh. Some while back, my dad is a, um, uh, my dad's a, a good old country man. Mm -hmm. and, and not long ago, I guess it was last summer, he said, son, I figured out how to get the gnats to stop bothering you. And I'm like, share on dad. You know, like, what do you have? My, my dad's a, uh, he's got all kinds of hobbies. Amongst those hobbies, he's also a beekeeper. And uh, so I'm thinking, you know, okay, I know what he's going to say. He puts on his, you know, beekeeper hat, and, you know, he's got that net right there, and the, the gnats don't, you know, bother him. And so I said, what is it, Dad? And nope, not the beekeeper hat. I'm like, what, you keep blowing away, you know, because I'm always like, good night, you know, I can't see in front of me until you, you blow it away, right? And my dad said, son, don't blow him away. What you do is you catch him off guard. And I'm like, I'm not sure a gnat has a gnat brain, you know, like, and if so, it's not very big. He said, you catch them off guard. And so instead of blowing, you suck them in and you swallow them. <laughs> like, what in the world? No, dad, I ain't sucking any gnats in, swallow them. He's like, like, they're totally waiting for you to blow this way. So you go and you suck them in and you get, and I'm like, that sounds like a horrible idea. Like who came up with that? It's an original, you know? And so I'm like, man, you know what? There's going to be a lot of distractions, like little gnats in front of your face, but you have to choose Act as if you do not see or do not hear. This is something really stupid, and so uh, um, so I shouldn't say that word because I tell my son all the time, buddy, is there something else in your vocabulary that you can use? You don't have to always say that word because 
to him on how to school to go. It was stupid. You know, like, everything's, you know, in, in your opinion, you know. Um, but anyway, there's, uh, there's all these distractions and you have to learn, I'm going to avoid those things. I'm not going to pay attention. So this silly little idea, um, when I'm at, uh, since I'm traveling a good bit this week, I'll head back down to my missions conference. I got a couple weeks more of missions conferences. And when I go there, I'll many times I get to the church early and I'll go to a Starbucks, you know, go figure. And, and I'm at the Starbucks. I'm doing a little bit of work because where else can you get free coffee and free Wi-Fi, you know? And so I'm sitting there. Well, when you need to go to the bathroom, let me just say it this way. Not everybody locks the door when they go to the bathroom. And let me just say, it will scar your life if you open a door and see somebody. Like, in, you know, that's happened way too many times. And like, they're like, I'm in here. And I'm like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, seriously, dude, you could have locked the door. You know that little button that you push right there? Come on. And so what I began to do is I'll open the door. But as I open the door, I look down, go like that, just to wait to hear somebody or so that I don't see anything that will scar me for the rest of my life. And you know, that little distract little thing that I'll, I'll do for myself to not see or not hear or whatever it may be. It helps me listen to this. And there's so many things in your life that you cannot, you have to avoid. You cannot let distract you. There'll be, whether it's people saying or things going through your mind or sin, temptation coming your way, learn to stoop down. Once again, they said it to Jesus and look down at verse number eight. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And you must become a master of avoiding distractions. Again, stoop down. And when you're going through different things, remember, again, stoop down. I need to reply and tell everybody what I think. Again, stoop down. I need to say this again, stoop down. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter all that happens, but you don't have to make a fool of yourself when it does happen. If you'll keep your mouth shut, the storm will pass and you don't have to regret what you said. So be quiet. You might be in the middle of a, an argument with somebody, even a best friend. And if you say something later, once you lance out that spear, you cannot return that spear. It's already stuck in the wall. And so keep the spears in your side. Stoop down. And again, stoop down. Don't, you know, like I got to stand up and show them what. No, you don't. Take a lesson from the Lord, stoop down, and don't worry about it, all right? Okay, uh, I'm going to hand this over to Nate, and uh, actually, Emily, would you mind grabbing that microphone right there? Let's see. Uh, it should stretch all the way. Nate, um, I would like you and Emily maybe to update us what's going on in life. Um, see how far that stretches. Can we good? Okay. Yes, so we lived in um, Bobo de Lasso uh, for two years, and then we're in Ouagadougou for six months, and um, it was awesome. Our time there was awesome. We first got to Bobo, we couldn't speak. Um, Michael, you know how that is. Uh, you just feel like a baby. You're like stuck. You can't really communicate much, and so 
But after that, um, the Lord, after about six or seven months, the Lord allowed us to be able to understand and speak. And so ever since then, it's been awesome being able to share the gospel and see God start churches, start, start the second, the second church plant got started. Um, and we're able to teach and preach and teach and, um, and that a whole lot. And then see God save people and grow his church there. And then two other churches started in villages and, the motorcycle ministry and um, Drabo and he's at going out to the villages and the Bible college and J- brother Jason was training the guys. And so it was really exciting, uh, very exciting ministry to be a part of, very exciting time to be there. And so we praise the Lord for that um, time period and learning the language. And um, Asher was born um, in a Wag- We went up to Wagadugo. Asher was born and then Alaska was just born in April with uh she was born with malaria uh, about two months early almost and so she was really tiny and uh, always wanted to sleep a lot but um now she's fat and we're praising the lord (laughs) she's really chunky she eats all the time and she's the fattest baby we've ever had so we we're, we're happy that she's fat and that we're back and we just got back to the to the states about two weeks ago and um, I think, yeah, about two weeks, and we went to Indiana for a missions conference, and then we just got back here, and it's been awesome. It's been exciting. So um, here's my wife. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. What else do we have here? Anybody have any questions about, about their life? Let me say this. Um, Praise the Lord. Uh, you know, in Acts chapter 14, when the missionaries returned, remember that? They're, Paul and Barnabas, they returned. And what did they do right when they got there? I think it's like verse 21, 22, 23. When they returned, they began to share what God had done. Now, it's amazing because the first thing we usually do, very guilty me, um, is we usually share the problems, the struggles, the burdens, and the, you know all the issues that we have, our complaints. But the biblical example, and I mean, good night, if anybody had any issues, Paul and Barnabas, Lord, I've heard that they were trying to stone them and throw them out of the city and curse them and, you know, everything else. But they did not complain. They began to share what God had done. There will always be darts thrown from the devil if you're doing God's work. But don't focus on the darts. Stoop down. Don't look at all the discouragement. Stoop down. The... Uh, what is it, 1 Corinthians 16, um, you know, great and effectual doors open, but there are many adversaries. And so don't focus on the adversaries. Focus on the advocate, you know, on, on the one who's on your side. Um, and so I appreciate and praise uh, the Lord for uh, Nate and Emily. Um, God's been very good to them. But let me do say, they have been through uh, a lot of struggles. And I'm grateful they share the blessings. Nothing wrong with sharing some some struggles, but they're sharing the blessings with you. And I think you would be wise to find out how they have stuck it through, even in the difficult times. And sometimes, you know, I'm a student and, and bills are tough or, you know, all these different things. And I don't belittle that at all. There are issues. Sometimes you think, Lord, I don't know if I can make it through. Well, how do we expect God to encharge us with bigger issues when we don't handle the smaller issues? Are you following me? So I think these are great examples of God's servants who have continued on the battlefield. 
when the bullets are flying. Uh, anybody got any questions? Or if you just want to, Nate or Emily, uh, just speak up and maybe share something, uh, some experience and how you got through it, some difficulty or wh whatever you want. So either y'all speak up or somebody's going to ask. All right? Whichever you prefer. Chase? How did you guys help each other uh, during your days of culture shock? Oh yeah. How did how did we help each other during days of culture shock? That's a great question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first thing is you recognize what's going on is it's culture shock, and so that was helpful because in the moment you're, you know, in in Burkina Faso, you have people that love to just go and visit you uh, unannounced, and it's like it's supposed to be like an honor for you that they would take the gas and the time to visit you. So you you give them water and you go out and you sit and talk with them for however long they want to stay and sit and talk. And that's uh, something that's, you know, uh, opposite of what our culture is here in the States. And so that was hard to get used to. And then you're learning a language, but you can't speak. And then you have people that will do that, but then they're like talking to you in French and you don't even understand what they're saying. And so you're like picking up different things here and there and making a lot of mistakes. And so there's a lot of days, I mean, you're, you're driving on, on the road in your car, uh, brakes like, um, you're, you've got like a flat tire like every other day because like people throwing nails in front of the road or the, the roads are just so terrible. Your shocks are coming off all over the, and you're, you're getting ripped off by mechanics because you can't speak the language. And um, we first got there, we lived in a hotel and there's just a lot of different, a lot of different things. There's goats everywhere. It's like hot and there's dirt and um, there's trash everywhere. And so there's just a whole lot of different things that's just like different. That's hardcore, totally different. And so um, you just have to recognize in the moment, like, hey, this is the, I mean, this is just culture shock. We're having a culture shock day. And then when you add, like, you know, a bunch of kids, uh, little kids on top of that, it just makes everything a little more stressed. And so um, you just have to recognize it for what it is and then uh, tell each other, be honest with each other, and communicate is very important, communication, and um, being patient with each other, being kind to each other during those times um, is extremely important. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess just what you said. When Nate is a very positive person, so that helps a lot. Like, kind of set the tone for the house anyways. So, like, there wasn't a lot of times where he was just, like, it was mainly me a lot of the times. But he had culture shock days, too. But um, he just handled it better. Everything, there's kind of a positive attitude, which really will help you on the mission field and will help your house hold like any, if you're married, um, it'll help your spouse. Um, so I think that's what Chase is asking too. How do you help each other? But then at the same time, if, even if one of you is struggling, it's not always profitable at the moment to just be like, well, everything's sunshine and flowers, don't you know? And sometimes it is good to be like, well, you know, like I get like, it, it is a struggle and it's hard and kind of just meet them where they're at. Um, and don't belittle them, but at the same time, don't, leave them don't leave them in that space like go ahead and speak truth in their life biblical truth and encourage them because we don't we don't just need a buddy that's going to agree with us and sit with us in our sadness or our frustration but you can you can say like i know where you're coming from but here's the truth and at the point of the truth if some if one or the other like if, if i were to get upset at nate for speaking truth to me he did what he was supposed to do so that's on me like, he should not stop speaking truth into my life because um, I got upset at it. 
Um, and most of the time, even if I get upset at it later on, it's going to reap fruit in my life because the word of God is powerful. So it'll help even if not in the moment, it'll help later. Making sure that you're spending time in God's word every day is extremely important. I remember during those times, um, I tried to read the Bible in French, but it was like frustrating because I couldn't, I didn't understand anything. So I switched back to English, but eventually it went back and now I prefer French. Um, but you got to spend time in the, in the word of God every day. And it's, it's hard depending on what stage of life you're in and how um, many kids you have and how busy stuff is and your schedule and how much you're traveling. But it's extremely necessary to try to go to sleep at a decent hour, put your kids to bed a decent hour, go to sleep at a decent hour. And then so you can wake up early, spend time in the, in the word of God and then spend time in prayer. Um, I've never journaled before, but that was helpful during that, that time period was just journaling, just writing down prayers to God or thoughts or things that were going on. And just like, Hey, this is what happened yesterday. This is what we're going to do today. Even if it seems monotonous at times, it's extremely helpful to get stuff down and get it out of your, out of your head. Um, so spending time in God's word is extremely important. And then also just kind of have a, we can't be like rigid in the fact that like, we, we want things to go how we think they should go. You have to be extremely flexible, especially in Africa, but probably anywhere overseas and just in life in general. It's extremely helpful if you're very flexible and you're um, just kind of go with the flow, like whatever happens, happens, because otherwise you're going to be extremely frustrated and, and get angry. And um, so, yeah. Give us an example. What do you mean? Um, of, of not being... Yeah, yeah, being flexible, uh, not being rigid. A lot of things happen that you're not prepared for. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, we're we're driving and we're we're trying to move uh, city. We're trying to move cities. You know, it's about six hour drive from Bobadilasa to Ouagadougou, and yeah, that road was terrorist uh, or whatever. There was a little bit of danger, but um, what happened? We, what happened? Why did we end up taking the bus, um, the flight? Yeah, yeah, Kevin dipped on us, yeah. So, um, anyhow, so we, yeah, we, we drove up and it was fine. I mean, it wasn't that dangerous, not like, like some of the villages and stuff. It was just a little, um, yeah. Yeah, everything was fine. But our, we're driving up, our, our, what's it called? The radiator, um, exploded or something happened. We hit something. Anyhow. Yeah, it broke. Our car broke like it does all the time. And anyhow, so it broke. Like we were like an hour outside, and then our radiator, they took it out, and it had like cracked. And so like these mechanics are like, hey, listen. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you we were We were like in the middle of nowhere. So we were in the in between cities. Um, we had broke down right beside this. The only thing that was next to us was this Catholic school. Uh, it was a girls' Catholic school. So they were all like coming out of the school building, just like staring at us as we pull out like dump out of the car with our kids and um, we're wondering what we're going to do. Oh, that was the time that we figured out Nate's suitcase. Yeah, this adds to it. Yeah, Nate's suitcase with his entire wardrobe had flown off the top of the car and we were already four hours into this trip and it's going to be dark soon and we cannot be on this road at night. So it's just like a loss. But the praise with that is God gave us a good attitude because we thought it our car got rearranged. We packed our car. I put the suitcase inside that had our passports, our birth certificates, everything that we need to function in a country and go overseas back and forth. Put it in a suitcase so it was with us and it was not in the moving truck. 
Well, the people were at our house helping us pack. They rearranged our car, put those suitcases on top of our car. And when we got out, we thought our passports, our identity, Nate's MacBook, everything, iPad, we thought it was gone. And we were like, we are totally sunk. And then we realized it was just all of Nate's clothes. And we were so happy. <laughs> we were like, this could not get any better. But, but <laughs> he was, we were driving up with a friend, um, David, and he was so distressed. And oh, he was like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. This is the worst. Because he was the one that rearranged it and he felt terrible. He's like, I'm so, because for him to lose all of his clothes is like, it would be like a huge deal. For us, it's like, you know, you get more clothes. But I mean, like, yeah, he was, he was like, oh man, like kept going on and on. I'm like, it's okay. It's just, clothes. he was texting people back in Bobo. Like, did we leave the suitcase? We did not leave He's the like suitcase. His buddies on the road. Like, have you seen a, a black suitcase anywhere? Like we got to contact someone to go find it. I'm like, no, I, I told him, I was like, the, the African that found that suitcase is having a fantastic day. I mean. <laughs> So that was one layer to it. The other layer is we have, I'm pregnant and we have two small children and we're stuck on the side of the road and it's about to get dark and um, we're an hour outside the city. Dallas is like, um, I could come out there, but he's on the other side of the city. So that would have been almost a two hour drive for him to come find us and then bring us back somehow. Um, so we were, we waited a little while and a God just sent two men and a truck drove by us. They stopped and asked what was going on. We had someone with us that, uh, Burkina Bay with us, so that helped. And so he kind of explained the situation and they hooked us up and towed us to the next, um, to the next little town. And we pulled into a, uh, mechan mechanic shop and they started working on it, but that took like an hour. So it was getting dark. Um, super glue and like, Try to glue the, uh, <laughs> yeah. they, they glued the radiator back together so that we like arrived at our destination. We arrived at downtown, and then I think it broke down again. Remember that other mechanic at that gas station? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it, those are two different like so in that situation, like we didn't even have a lot of food for the kids or anything. But if you just realize when you're in a country, the people around you they're eating somehow. They are eating. They're not. Like, where are they eating? Just look around and you'll see. It's not going to be a nice restaurant that you might think is American, but it's like, okay, let's go over here and get some rice and sauce. And we all ate that and that was fine. Get back in the car after it was fixed. We rode back to Wagga and they didn't have any clothes, but I miraculously found some that we had extra spared. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he was wearing clothes. <laughs> he was wearing clothes. Um, but then when we were, we were trying to get a fridge later on, a couple of days after that, we were in Awaga trying to get a fridge and we were downtown Awagadugu getting a fridge and a stove to set up our house. And, um, it broke down again because it was not fixed properly, obviously. And so I took both the boys in a taxi. Nate gave, like set up a taxi for me. I took the taxi home and Nate just stayed downtown until he could figure out what we were doing with the car. But it's kind of like in those situations, especially before a big move or before something big is happening where you know the devil's going to try to attack you, you have to make up in your mind, I will be go with the flow with this situation. Because if not, you're gonna, the stress is just going to overwhelm you and you're going to be at each other's throat and the devil's going to be getting the victory. So you have to just be like, you know, whatever happens is like whatever and great. And we're just going to let it roll off of our back. And it'll, it, that is for the glory of God. Because if you're focusing on the stress and you're not prepared beforehand, um, if you're not mentally prepared for what's coming, then it's going to be easier for the devil to slip in there and take the, your feet out from underneath you. Yeah. 
And when, when difficult things happen, like when your car breaks down and when you're tempted to get frustrated, just remember, like, don't uh, show it. Don't act angry because anger to Africans is, is like the worst of all sins in their mind. Like, you know, it's like a big deal. Like if you get angry at someone, it's like that, that is like really awkward and they, they can't stand it. They hate it. So even if you're frustrated at the situation, just put on a smile and, and, and that will help you too. It'll help you too. Even if you have to hide it for a while until you, you make yourself happy, encourage yourself in the Lord. Like, uh, Jeff wrote an awesome book about that. Just, um, I mean, we, we've gotta, we've got to realize that just don't let circumstances affect your attitude. Realize that literally we have the greatest life ever and you're going to have issues. You have issues now. You're going to have issues all throughout life, but everybody does, but we literally have the greatest life ever. We get to share the gospel. We, I mean, God takes care of our needs and, and we get to, uh, spend our time learning a language, learning a culture, loving people, making friendships and connections and sharing the gospel and training men and starting churches. And it's all for the glory of God. And so no matter what happens, no matter, we should expect difficulties to come because the devil doesn't, he hates it when you're on the field. He does not like it. Uh, what we're doing and he's going to fight against it and he's going to kind of try to cause all sorts of different distractions and and discouragements to happen but we just got to continue to encourage ourselves in the lord and keep our eyes on jesus christ no matter what um yeah that's great anybody got a question a comment for that you know um it's there's a book called control girl and uh, I realize it's for girls, and I realize I read it a couple times, but um, it's still really good. But the point is that it probably needs – it's written by a lady, therefore she calls it Control Girl, but she's probably subtly writing it for her husband um, because it is excellent. And the idea is that a lot of times all of us want to have control over the situation. You know, we want the remote in our hand to change the TV, and we want to be in the driver's seat so that we can drive the speed that we need and pass at the time we want to. And uh, we want to pick out, you know, we can, you know all the examples. The point is, we all like control. And what happens many times in God's work is, if you don't learn to be flexible, you will break. So as the wind blows, the palm tree goes over like this, and then it stands back up, after the wind. I mean, you look on, that's why there's a lot of palm trees and, and coastal areas. But inland, you have a lot of trees that are very strong, like pine trees, and then they just split because they're so rigid, so strong. And missionaries as well break if we do not bend with the storms of life. And so you have to decide, what does it mean to be flexible? I read one book said, don't be flexible, be a fluid. In other words, just Learn to adapt to whatever you're at. You know, if you pour water, whether it's on the table or in a cup or whether the, whatever the form of the cup is, it goes to that form. And it's, it's kind of against us because we like things like we like it. But one way or another, the Lord's going to allow things to happen that will kick the fire out of you. And if you stand rigid, you're e eventually you're going to have to learn or you go the other way. And so learn. Uh, I think it's great. Everything they just said, you know, change your focus from this is horrible. Other people have issues. You know, I mean, um, even in 1 Corinthians 10, when it talks about verse number 13, when it talks about the, the, the temptation, there's no temptation taking you but such as is common to man, to mankind, not just a male figure. It's common to man. 
in first Peter talks about the trials and it says these fiery trials and it says my brothers all over the world they're also dealing with the same things you're not the only one be flexible change your focus remember to go right back to God I am blessed God you are good God you're still in control Lord help me you know if you can learn to um, control your mind if you can learn to control your thoughts you've won the battle because the devil's going to throw all these things in your ear and in front of your eyes to make you and cause you to go stir crazy you know like i gotta be out of here i gotta do this is just crazy i don't even understand it and then i mean she just mentioned i wrote down several different things emily just mentioned like they were on the road on bad roads they thought something got stolen the, the best of all they had they were hungry it's getting dark which means it's going to be dangerous their car break i mean there's 101 things they could focus on those things and they decided not to she just said well people around here are eating something well that's a good you know that's a good mentality i guess we can go buy something to eat you know like well looks like there's a lot of people walking we're not the only one you know and so there's a lot of things that you can change change your focus that's excellent all right anybody have any questions uh for nate and emily and if not proceed forward dear brother yes sir go ahead so whenever you're talking about being flexible i think a lot of times we uh how do you balance that with having standards being like because that's what uh, you know god is and i understand that guys being flexible is more with a lot of the problems that come Mm -hmm. how do you balance that because if you're being a lot like too flexible then you're just kind of like taking forever and it's not getting over sure happens how do you well, I think uh, ultimately, I, I definitely don't have the right answer, but I'm going to give you at least a thought. Um, I think one we need to realize, um, here's what the book of Matthew says, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? Uh, my wife doesn't like lightning. I love storms. You know why? I like storms because I, I feel like that's the only thing that, or at least that, that no man can control. You can't control if the winds come. You can't control. And I think in life, realize God sends the winds. You know, we, and for me to try to manipulate the wind, I can't. So I have to accept them. And God might use the winds to blow me to another side to do the, um, the, the Philip Acts chapter 8 that he all of a sudden he witnesses and boom, God takes him to another spot. The wind might take you another spot. Winds might take you another, um, just, but in those winds, you could say, this is of God. God, you know what's going to happen. You know the outcome. And we still stand, you know, that, that stands that we do. We still stand, try to do what's right. But you could be, you could be strong as iron, but you could still be a gentleman. You know, so, um, but what if this happens? You know, um, there's things that will happen. And, and, and it bothers us in our flesh. Um, nevertheless, let God control those things. And, and I don't know that's the... Uh, the perfect answer, maybe even a roundabout way um, of, of answering. I just know, one, you still got to realize God's in control. Two, you still got to realize you're God's servant. So God's not geographically challenged. God's not circumstantially challenged. God's not individually. God can, God can take you. God can use the circumstances to make you greater. And, and throughout Job, um, over and over, he said, you know, though he slay me, you know, yet I won't forsake him. I, I won't. Uh, I won't go the other way. That's Job. What um, thirteen verse number fifteen? Job twenty seven says, um, 
I would rather die than lose my integrity. So even in the problem, don't lose your integrity. Actually, this week I wrote a, um, I wrote a message on integrity. And uh, I'll go ahead and share my, my message with you. One, um, don't lose your integrity in the trials. The trials will tempt you and they'll fight you and they'll, storms will blow and blast you like the sandstorm. Don't lose it in the trials. Secondly, don't lose your integrity in the temptations because temptation will come up on my phone and nobody else knows what I'm looking at. Nobody knows what I'm going to say. I'm in secret or whatever. Don't lose your integrity in the temptations. And thirdly, don't lose your integrity in the triumph. And in triumph, sometimes we say um, that those are the best moments in life. What happens, and, and this is my life, sometimes when, when things are going all well, we stand up at Nebuchadnezzar and we say, it's by my hand, God blessed. And all of a sudden God says, really, Nebuchadnezzar? Boom, eat grass like an ox. And until, uh, what is it, um, Daniel chapter number five, whatever, until Nebuchadnezzar recognized that it was God, and so many times in the trials, we look up because we're at the bottom. We look up and we can see God. But in the triumphs, when everything's going your way, I've got money in my pocket. My health is fine. Family's fine. People seem to like me. Things are going well. Why do I need God? And you say, I would never say that, but we act like that. We don't pray as much. We don't like, because man, I'm, I'm, I'm flowing. I've got the surfboard out. Baby, I am surfing on this wave. Things are going well. And we don't need God as much. In prosperous times. But those are times we could also lose integrity. Don't you forget who got you there. Don't you forget how good God is. Anyway, that's one of my messages I wrote this week. Um, but here's what I would say. We cannot control the winds and the storms. So stand, but at the same time, I don't know the balance here. Sometimes we need to stand. Sometimes we just need to let go. I do know either way, we do have to be flexible because as God blows, let God do what God wants to do. And uh, I, I do know my, I'm willing to, last week someone, I think it was Grant, asked me a, a very good question and had me pondering this week. Um, like, why, you know, why stay, like, how, how do we know when God's moving one path from, to another path? Um, well, I would say a couple different things. I've told, I've taught the pastors in Argentina. I've told them many times. Uh, because several of them told me one of the pastors is getting ready to leave uh, Buenos Aires, go up to Salta. And uh, that's where he's from, and he's going to plant church. I said, God bless you. You know, he's going to pastor up there. I said, God bless you. But I told him before, I said, do not leave that church until things are going so well that the next guy that follows you says, now I have a salary, people are good, the attendance is up, because anybody can leave when things are down. And that, I don't believe that that's of God when things are down. Like, I believe God's moved me. Dude, anybody would leave. When things are going well, leave at that moment, and you could say, well, obviously that was God because I would have stayed if I was him. So how do we know when God moves paths? Because sometimes he uses storms to, to move our, our, our paths. And uh, this is what kept coming to my mind. Um, God may use the storms. to God may use the problem. God may use a lot of different things. But don't let your path be moved because of your feelings, because of the struggles, because of temptation, because of the issues. Make sure that it's God, not you. Um, and if God puts you on there, then let God move you from there. Um, but sometimes my emotion, you know what emotions are, right? They're like roller coasters. They take you up and down and all around. They give you a crick in the neck when you get up, done. Our emotions are feeble, fellas. I mean, they, 
they rip us and our emotions will go down. And in this culture shock or in, in life, our emotions will say up and down, and all, but we don't move. We, we walk by faith, not by sight, nor by feelings. And so make sure I would say um, that how do we become flexible? Well, we decide that if God wants to move us, God will move us. If God wants to slay us, God will slay us. Uh, Daniel, what is it? Chapter number three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, I'm not bowing down to your dumb golden idol. I don't care. God's going to rescue us. But if not, three words, and circle that a hundred times in your Bible. But if not, in other words, if God doesn't rescue me from here and God lets me die from here and I still go in the furnace and God, you know, it, but if not, I'm still going to serve God. I'm not going away. And so we decide all of it. Be flexible. If God decides this is my end, so let it be. If God decides to move on, so let it, do, you know, I mean, that's going to happen. Uh, so don't let it be our feelings. Don't let it be our emotions. Don't let it be the storms of life. We become flexible. And that's a, that's a great question. Nate, maybe you, you've been in the midst of a war per se. All, every child of God is in a spiritual war, right? And in the spiritual war, Emily, I'm sure there's been times uh, you're very sweet-hearted, spirited, and I appreciate that of both of you. And Nate, you have a, a zeal and a positivity that some people might look and say, well, good night, I'm not Nate, I'm not that positive. But you know what? It's a decision, right? And, and so that's not, a, uh, that's, that's not a personality. It's a personal conviction. It's a decision, right? And so... Um, but anyway, how, when there's been times, Emily, that you've probably thought, good night, my kids have malaria. You just said your, your daughter's born two months early with malaria. Is that right? Uh, I'm sure there's time that like, no way, I'm done. Why did Jesus say, um, let the dead bury their dead? You know, that guy was going to turn around, go home and take care of dad. Like that's not, doesn't sound nice because in Ephesians six, it's not a contradiction. He said, children, obey your parents and Lord, honor thy father and mother. Right? So God's not saying hate them, but God's saying, you better choose me first. The Matthew six thirty three. all these other things are secondary. So how did you look, Emily, when kids were sick, when life was hard, when there was dust keep flooding in the house? And I've been in Burkina a few <laughs> times and it's like, open the windows cause it's cool. Don't open the windows cause the dust will come in. You know, like. How did you keep going when things were hard? Um, well, after Alaska was born, I feel like that was a pretty tough time because um, I probably wasn't really prepared well for that. Um, I, I didn't think she was coming early at all. I mean, you don't think that. Um, but before any of that, I mean, we moved to Burkina. Uh, I was pregnant with Asher. And um, this is like a, like a tough topic um, because – we've had people on our team that have hurt from first on the field. And it is something that we thought about a lot and prayed and we got peace about it. But it's almost like, it's interesting you would say that, but if not, we're like, you know, like we have peace about this and God's not giving us any reason to stay. And we realize the risk. And if anything were to go amiss, like we, like, I don't know, Nate is pretty much, he's pretty sound in his, like, like, we're here to do this, and whatever comes our way, we're here to stay. But for me, it's a, a lot of, a, I got to think it out, and I got to give it to God in advance. Um, and so that was something I did um, with Asher and then with Alaska as well, was just like, you know, whatever happens with this, um, with this birth, good or bad, like, I just have to decide, Lord, that I'm still going to serve you and love you and um, 
and we praise him that he saw fit to help us through those situations and um, give us the two children that we have. But um, we definitely try not to take that for granted. And we realize that it is in that particular situation, um, there are things where you're really just going to have to pray about it. And you can't say, I did this because somebody gave me the advice to go do that. Like when we went to the field expecting, like that was a decision that we made between us and the Lord. And so it wasn't ever going to fall on anybody else, but we were just giving it to God. Yeah, and Asher Asher started to come early in Bobo, um, and that was um, yeah. He thought he was coming tonight, but I I was not so certain, and it did not happen. But we waited a couple of days. I went on bed rest, and um, the labor stopped. And then we drove to a wagon. We spent a, a month in a wagon. He actually came on his due date, so um, that was good. And then when Alaska was born. That was a really tough time, um, but I wrote, like Nate said, keeping a journal is really helpful, and through that time, like, I went back to right before Alaska was born, and um, and I wrote in my journal, like, a almost like a chapter beginning of, like, you know, this is the part of my life that I'm just going to call the storms, and it was, like, just one thing after the next that was so stressful and so overwhelming, and I would not say that I handled it the right way in the beginning, Um but over time, like God is, he's faithful to answer our prayers. And many times I've prayed for the Lord to help me handle a situation or to change my heart. He's a God that can change a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And I can be very cynical and very critical, even though Brother Jeff called me sweet. Like if you knew me, really, like I can be very uh, just um, almost negative, like a negative personality type. And um, so I've asked the Lord multiple times to change that and to teach me and to grow me. And through that situation, I really think he did. And those were some answers to prayer that we had. But those those verses in the Bible about storms and God being in control, because our life just felt like one wave after the next. And it was just so, it was so much. But still at the same time, if you really think about it as well, we were still so grateful for what we had. Because when I did take the time to stop and think, I'm like, you know, there's so many other things that God could have put in our path and had on for had for us to learn and grow through, but he didn't choose for us to go through those things. And I thank him for that. Um, but he has us in the situation now because there's are always going to be someone that has it probably a little bit harder than you do. So that's something you can think about. But then the biggest thing that's going to help you even trying to change your perspective of like, I need to just get better because somebody else has it worse. That's, that's not really going to work either. You just have to base it in the Bible. And so going through just all of the chapters about for me and that moment was about the storms and the waves and the seas and how God is in control. And if you read in the Psalms, God is in control of the storms and the seas. And then in the New Testament, like Brother Jeff just said, it says, what manner of man is this that the winds and the seas obey him? And it's like, that's the same God that they were talking about in Psalms. Like Jesus is Lord and he's Lord of my life. And it brought so much comfort to me that and knowing everybody was praying for us. Um, so social media can be a real real vice and a real real bad thing if you let it control your life. But in that moment, going on social media, looking at my messages, like that was a modern amenity that we had that really helped when we were sick with, I had malaria, I had typhoid and dinghy and Alaska had typhoid and um, Asher had typhoid, Asher, Azariah was just getting over malaria. Nate had just had malaria. All this had happened like a month before we're supposed to move to Benin. So it's kind of like, like 
just really think about it for what it was. Like, do you think the Lord, do you think the devil wants us in Benin? Do you think the devil wants us to stay on the mission field? Like, no. Um, and he sent a lot of things our way, but it was prayer, Bible reading, and then realizing that you have rope holders on the home front that love you and are putting you before the throne of God and praying for you. And that was so spiritually encouraging. And I feel like letting stuff spiritually encourage you can also help you physically feel better and start to be on the amend. So after like four days, we were in Benin. Four days or a week, we got better. She was in the hospital like the night before we left for Benin. Yeah. Like the devil. And Benin, if you know, Benin is a... um, People in Burkina are afraid of Benin. They think they call it the devil's playground. They call it the it's the birthplace of voodoo. They're like, it's dark there. The devil's strong there. Don't go there. I can't believe you guys are going there. I wouldn't go there. I know Burkina's bad with terrorism, but that is bad. That's bad. And so that's just what people think. And that's what, and then there's no, there's like hardly any missionaries there. Like there's, we didn't know of any. We found one like eight hours north of us, um, but they they just they're started restarting work after getting um, the government came and abducted them because of the terrorist uh, threat way up north. And so, but there's just hardly anything going on. And so the devil was attacking. She was in the hospital the day the night before, and we even on the plane like she was like passing out a little bit um, in the airport, or she she was just faint and stuff because of the IV. But we already bought tickets for Benin. We had visitors waiting on us. Like it was just like just a weird situation. But we just prayed, and the Lord um, took care of it. And uh, so we're excited about what God's going to do there in Benin. The um, something that made me think as they were saying that she she made some decisions beforehand. God, whatever happens to this pregnancy, uh, you remember in Daniel chapter one verse number eight, this young Hebrew kid that now young man taken there he had already purposed in his heart and and there's got to be decisions that you make now god though you slay me you know job still i will praise you god okay nobody wants a bad situation to happen there there's no doubt about it and i can name many people in this this room have gone through or going through difficult times nobody would ask that upon themselves um, I cannot remember what, uh, what preacher, there was a famous preacher. Um, it was in the beginning of the 1900s. I'll remember in a minute, but anyway, someone said a young man preached and got done. And someone said that was a good message. And he said, um, it was a good message, but after God takes him through some tests and trials, it'll be a great message. In other words, none of us like the tests and the trials and the difficulty. I mean, it's um, we do when we're on the other side of it. We're like, praise God, that's done. But God will allow things to happen. You know, sometimes God even uses, do you know what God's holy sandpaper is? Sometimes it's other people. Yeah, and Lord have mercy. You're like, um, so whatever it is, God may put you through But you have to determine beforehand. Don't wait until you're in the middle of the trial. um, You know, when you're in the middle of an argument with your spouse, you don't say, you know what? We need to discuss if this is going to work out. No, we kicked out the word divorce a long time before this. Didn't you make your vows? As a child of God, before you go to the mission field, you say, God, 
I'm staying until you take me off of here. And God may take you off here. God may change, you know, ministry. There's a lot of things that could happen. Let it be God and not you. And uh, God will make that evident in the ways that um, God can be really loud when he wants. And God can be really quiet when he wants. You know, like um, his hand is not shortened that he cannot save. Right? I mean, God, God can do what he wants. So let him, but be careful because our emotions and our feelings and our, you know, struggles and um, don't make, you know, decide. Have you ever went to the grocery store when you're hungry? What do you buy? Everything. You got that right. Mindy, Mindy. Yeah, I know. Right. Mindy has banned me from going to Costco with her. You know why? Because good night, that 10 pounds of pistachios, we need it. And those, you know, five pounds of Hershey's chocolate, especially dark chocolate almonds, you know what I'm saying? Preach right there. You know, like, we're getting one of those. Like, oh, it's on sale. Buy two. You know, like, we can't eat that much. If you see me eat chocolate, you're like, I can do it, you know? Um, whatever, like, put it all in. Minnie's like, I did not come. Half of what I have in this buggy here, I did not have on my list. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's worth it, you know? Like, God's been good. Feed me, my love. You know, like, I, man, I want that stuff. You know what? It's not good to go to the grocery store when you're hungry. Nor is it good to make decisions when you're down. Because many times we say things we shouldn't. We do things we shouldn't. We act like we shouldn't in the, in the hard times. Decide, make those decisions beforehand. And when it's happening, don't say a word. Just stoop down. And you might have to stoop down and stay down for a while. And just say, I'm just going to weather the storm. And you're like, I'm going to be strong during the storm. No, sometimes you just got to hold on to the rock. Charles Spurgeon said this, I have learned to kiss the waves that slam me against the rock. You know, the rock of ages, those, man, some things slam us against him. But if it does, God I don't rejoice, rejoice in the, the trial with James chapter one, like verse number three or something. But how can I? I don't rejoice in the trials. I rejoice that God's good to me and God's with me in the trials. That God's going to use it for his good. And uh, man, make some decisions beforehand. Make this, You say, I'm not married. Good, make decisions right now for your marriage before you get married. Don't wait until you're alone with the girl at night before you get married, go ahead and make some decisions right now that will control those times. Say like, it's getting dark. Let's head towards the house. You know, um, for dating, make your decisions now. For marriage, make your decisions now. For serving Jesus, make your decision now. Before anything, make your decisions now, lest you get in the heat of the moment and do stupid things that you later will regret. And all of us have been there. Whether, it, I'm, I'm not going to say it. You know what? I've already typed out. I'm going to hit enter. Lord, I'm going to, boom, it's out there, baby. I remember a few, uh, this was probably like six, seven years ago, there was this guy, he's a good man, and he left a, a, a church, um, it's in the Atlanta area, he left the church, and uh, he's a good man, and buddy, he let the world know what he thought about the pastor, and the pastor laying him off, and man, he fired it up, and like, I, just, I, like, I was like, oh my goodness, and then his daughter jumped on, and she said, my dad's only done nothing but good. Like, I mean, he fired it up. <laughs> and like, probably about an hour later, he, he deleted all the different things. I think he realized like, this is probably not a good idea and I'm definitely not going back to that church. 
But you know what? An hour later, probably 60,000 people saw that thing. And those gossip mongers that are out there, they, man, they slurped her all up. And I'm like, do you, was that really worth it? And, you know, later now, uh, you know, uh, he, I don't know. I, I'm sure he, like, ah, that was a dumb thing. But he should not have hit enter. He should have decided beforehand. Right? All of us, we get in those situations. You know, don't cast the stones out. We all get, but listen, before you get in the bat, make your decisions beforehand. Don't do that stuff. You know, the storm's coming. So um, they weathered those storms. They put their eyes upon the rock of ages. And uh, all right, um, let, let's do this. It's 1015. We should take our break right now. Uh, we got a 10-minute break. Um, well, it's 1016. So we're going to take, let's do a 20-minute break. All right, so you got until 1036. If you are visiting the beloved Bojangles, hurry your tail back to class, all right? Um, accelerate, do what you need to do. No, don't do that. Um, be careful, all right? All right, 20 minutes, 1036, we are back here. If anybody has a question, uh, we're going to continue. So if anybody has a question, we're going to start back up, and we'll start with Nate and Emily, and we will go from there. Anybody have a question they would like to ask them about something they said prior? or about absolutely anything going on in their lives, or about in ministry, whatever. Anybody? Question? Go ahead, buddy. Do y'all have a specific day where y'all take time to pray? Yes. Uh, Do we have a specific day where we take time for the family? Yes. Monday, um, we took every Monday um, pretty much religiously uh, to just as a family day. And that was a huge blessing, something I highly recommend everybody does because of just the normal everyday life and stress and culture shock and all the different things that you're going through. And depending on what ministry you're in, I mean, we were running 100 miles an hour from Tuesday through Sunday, just running. There's uh, the second church plant started, so and then all the other church plants are, were going, and there's always events, and you're doing language school, and you're going practicing the language, and there's just a ton of stuff going on. So it is extremely important to take a family day. Um, every Monday, we love that. And we just like, we it didn't have a TV or anything too much. We just would just play with the kids. The kids would, would play in the living room with toys, and we would run. We'd go for walks. We would go out to eat somewhere every now and then. It was only like two or three restaurants in Bobo. But, um, yeah, so just take take time for your for your family. It's, it's important. Family um, days are awesome. Yeah. Good question. Anybody else? Yeah, I've, got, I've got two for you guys, okay? Um, number one, you talked just a little bit about um, how God has directed your all steps from where you started in the process of marriage going to the end. You know, I don't think that was your plan originally. When you yeah. Started, right? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how God has directed that point? And then after that, I'll have one. Okay. Yeah, so we were, um, let's see, what was the plan? You remember what was going on? I tried to explain this the other night to a pastor's wife in Indiana, Miss um, Stephanie, and I was like, you know what? Like, how did God get us where we are? Like, it's hard to, it's hard to put all the pieces together. But we were, you took a trip to Burkina um, with Noah and um, your dad, and that's when you fell in love with Africa, I feel like, right? And then, so we decided to go on our internship to Burkina but our internship, because of Azariah and COVID, turned into actually us just going to Burkina for language school. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. We were supposed to go on a six-month internship, and then um, my, my parents bought us tickets to Alaska, remember? Because they wanted to spend a week with us. But then we got accepted as missionaries right before that. So then we... <laughs> So then we called churches, huh? Then we called churches out there, and we just... No, I know. I'm just saying. Yeah. Anyhow, one way or another, we, we kind of skipped over our internship and just kind of blended that into deputation and then just went to Africa. So, um, yeah, we got there, and it was great. Um, highly recommend it. But it was Emily's, it was Emily's first uh, first time in Burkina. So you know she had heard story. She'd heard talk to different people, and they're like, "Oh, you got to buy all this and stock up and do all this." And anyhow, um, so she had never been there. So if you, it, she wasn't there to like see and all that. So, but it was great. It's been great. It's been awesome. I highly. Actually, we tried to take an internship, and the Lord closed that door twice. One with the pregnancy, and second with COVID. And by the time we were supposed to be leaving for an, a six-month internship. We had raised our full support as missionaries, which was not planned, but that's what God did. And so we just went for two. We went for two years, which turned two and a half years because of the kiddos, and then um, did our language school there because we knew we wanted to be. God had called us into French-speaking West Africa, so learn French in Burkina. And then through there, we were praying about which country God would have us go to. And we visited Benin several times. We talked about that. Yeah, um, Jason and Charity went to Benin with us on a survey trip, and um, then we, then I went with Dallas and Josh Holloway, and then Brother Keith and I went, and then I went to get a container of Bibles that someone decided to ship there, and then, yeah, then we all went as a family, and the Lord just made it clear, I mean, that it's just wide open country, um, the Lord's working in exciting ways right now, people are leaving voodoo and and uh, searching for for something, and there's a lot of cults that are happening there, a lot of new churches that are being started, charismatic churches and different things, so it seems to be a a good time, and there's, you know, there's not really much going on that we know of, so we we did find a Baptist church close by our house, so just looking to spend the first year there learning Fongbe, the tribal language there, the heart language, and then learning the culture and, and helping grow that church, and then praying the Lord would call laborers to go out and start churches in villages and all around Benin and all over West Africa. So, yeah, like, just go and figure it out on the way. Yeah, like the, the a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps, <laughs> and God, God calls you to go and. You gotta like be active in the, in the ministry or whatever the Lord's called you to do, and He'll close doors and open doors, and that's kind of I feel like what happened with us. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, um, there's a guy named Dowda. Uh, he was born Dowda, and that's what he grew up as. But um, as he started studying the Bible and decided to follow Jesus, he wanted to change his name to David, David, which is what they like to do if they're Muslim and they want to become a Christian, they change their name. Um, he, uh, let's see, where did I first meet him? I don't remember. Um, it all kind of blends together. But anyhow, he started 
walking to my house. He lived like 30 minutes or an hour maybe walk away, and he would walk to my house for like every service, like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Anytime we were going to church, he would just he would walk to our house. And sometimes he would just walk on another day just to be like, hey, let's just, can we read the Bible together? And so him and Abdul, which is our guard, who was, uh, they were both Muslim at the time, but they were super interested in the Bible because most Muslims are completely ignorant to the truth of the Bible, never heard it. No one is going to share the gospel with them because they find out their name is Muslim and they're like, oh, there's no chance. But they were just super open, super interested. David, uh, David, he was the, like, kind of the head of his family because his dad fought in the military and died. His dad had like like three or four wives and, and a bunch of kids with him. So he's like the only man that was like left at the at the house. So, you know, there he is with all his dad's wives and all these kids. Um, but and he just he because of his dad, when he died, he left him some money. So he didn't have like a lot of work. He just had income and, and or had some money to live on, worked a little bit here and there. But he had time and he just loved the Bible. So he would walk to my house and. I don't know if there was like a, if it was like a, I remember in the car I asked him one time, I was like, you know, if you died right now, where would you go? And um, was able to really clearly share the gospel, but he had heard the gospel hundreds of times before that, but he, he just, he believed that Jesus was God and Jesus was the only way to get him to heaven. So he actually drove up to Awaga with us just to, I guess, watch out for us. And he also joined the military or got drafted into the military because of the terrorism and stuff going on. So he said he's going to fight for a year there. And then afterwards, he just wants to come wherever we are um, in Benin and just keep learning the Bible and, and see how God can use his life. So he's a, he's an awesome guy. And then Ab- Abdul didn't actually get saved while we were down there. But after we left, he um, texted me and told me he made the decision to follow Christ. Um, he you know He was on the verge. He was on that journey. And for him to... To leave uh, Islam to follow Christ would be would be similar to uh, if if Islam was the truth and we studied and we found that it would be similar to us leaving what we know to be truth in the Bible behind and becoming a Muslim. That's how it would be for him. And you can imagine how your family would treat you and how uh, everyone would treat you that you knew and what you grew up with your whole life. If you find out that was not true and you're that that's what he had to go through, Abdul, and so it was a long, long journey for him because his his grandfather was an imam, a Muslim preacher, or whatever, and so, um, but he made the decision to follow Christ, and his family ostracized him and um, and was persecuting him for a long time, and finally, after several months, they saw this guy's serious, and they have respect for him now. But he's faithfully going to Isaac, Pastor Isaac's church, and growing in Christ, and. God's uh, God's using him. He's got such a hunger and a zeal to share the gospel. Muslims um, take a while to get saved many times, but once they do get saved, they're all in. Once they do make that step, they're all in for the rest of their life. And you know, Salif, y'all met Salif there, and he was like a Muslim imam even and gave all that up um, to follow Christ and is going and preaching in churches every day of the week. And so there's no telling what God will use those guys to do. And then even Zach, Zach got saved, but he was my language school teacher, but we spent, you know, hundreds and of hours together and talking and uh, going through the Bible studies and stuff, and now he's the pastor of the second church plant there and married a, 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 a girl from a church in Ouagadougou. And uh, so just excited to see what God does. So, you know, you go out and you share the gospel every day, and there's, you know, hundreds of people that you talk to, and they make professions of faith, but um, you don't always see immediate fruit. But the Lord lets you see, you know, one or two people every now and then just to encourage you that your labor is not in vain. I think David, I think he was one that just showed up to church. You know, you go out on evangelism every day and you have great conversations. Oh, yeah, under the tree. 
Under the mango tree. That's right. Um, there was that other guy that was speaking English, and he spoke a little bit of English and wanted to learn. That's right. Yeah. So it's crazy. You'll go out and share the gospel, and many times you're like, oh, that guy's coming to church, but he doesn't come. And it's like, oh, man, that guy, that guy didn't get it. But then the Lord will just send you a, some random Joe Schmo that you've never even talked to. And then it's like, but the Lord likes to reward your effort. And so it's exciting just to see that God is working. God is moving his gospel. His word never returns void. And then also knowing that most people that you share the gospel with have never heard it before have never, ever heard the gospel. I mean, there's been people that that have looked at me and they're like, who's Jesus? Literally, like, they have no clue, no idea who he is. Because to Muslims, Jesus is Isa, and uh, that's the word they know for him. And, you know, it, it's crazy how much of a Muslim culture it was there in Bobo. And almost everyone that you meet is Muslim. And they're just so, there's such an ignorance to the to the the truth of the gospel. But, you know, so many different groups of young guys, as you're sharing the gospel, they're just listening intently asking you questions like hey well you guys worship three gods and we worship one god and how does that work and the trinity can you explain that and i heard that you guys worship mary and because almost all christians to muslims are catholic and so and it's messed up you know idolatry and all sorts of stuff so they that's what they think and or they think western christianity what they see on hollywood and movies and they they see all the fornication and people cussing and all this different things so that's what they think of when they think christianity so there's a long way that they have to go when they embark on that journey but it's so exciting just to see people such a hunger such a hunger uh for the word of god um the second church went how it started was underneath the mango tree there was you know around 100 people or more at times who would just come to just hear the bible and so there's it's very exciting to see what God uh, did and what he's continuing to do there in Bobo right now. Anybody else? Here's something to, to think about. Um, a lot of people say door knocking doesn't work. And you might not see him sitting there. But God, according to what Nate said, and I do believe it, <coughs> God blesses the effort. Someone not, might not be saved on the door, but then some, sometime that week, somebody does get saved. You say, that's not what I expected. Well, if it was always what you expected, you'd probably take the glory for it, wouldn't you? And so God always blesses. You're supposed to reap. You're supposed to sow. God will give the reaping, right? We plant, we water. Somebody else gives the increase, right? And that's God. And so you do your part and praise the Lord for it. Um, Nate, you said about those young men under the mango tree. Um, seemed like a lot of times you would just uh, go out and you would talk to a lot of young men. Could you tell us why did you do that or how do you do that? Boldly just going up and uh, talking to uh, young men. Well, I would, <clears throat> I would start out in Jula and Bobo because um, they don't like uh, the French. So they, um, typically not crazy about when you when they see you but as soon as you talk um their language the heart language they love it and um it breaks down that wall that everyone has everyone has that barrier like i don't really know you and um so just start just enter like uh start out and and whatever their heart language is even i we didn't know it we never learned it but you just learn a few little phrases greetings and a few little things you say god bless you and how you doing and stuff like that in their language and that breaks down the wall and then you, you just tell them, hey, can I ask you a question? Like, if you died right now, where, where, where are you going to go? Where would you go? And that always takes them by surprise, off guard, big time, because that's even direct kind of here in America, but it's like even more so in Africa. Like, no one really talks about death, and you just kind of, 
avoid the subject altogether. But you ask them that, and that for the first time in their life, maybe they're they're thinking about it. Well, I wonder actually where I would go. And then they'll say, most people will say, hopefully I go to heaven. You know, I'm, and then you ask them why, and they'll say because I'm a pretty good person or whatever. I I do good things. Or no Muslims will can ever tell you for sure 100 percent that they're going to heaven because even Muhammad said in the Quran. He doesn't know. He's like, I, just do the best you can, and you know, 50-50, Maybe you do, maybe you don't. And so, there's no assurance in Islam. So that's one thing that you can you can tell them is, um, if you died today, if you died and you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, you can know 100% that you're going to heaven. And you tell them, if the Muslim terrorists come and if terrorists come and kill me right now and cut my head off, I'm going straight to heaven. And why am I going to heaven? Because I'm a good person? And they're like, oh, yeah. Because I'm a pastor? Yeah, no. And you just tell them, show them from the Bible, no, I'm a sinner. I was a sinner just like you. And there's no way that we can ever do enough to earn forgiveness. And so you ask them questions to kind of show them, um, you know, where, where they are. Uh, you ask them, you know, like, I like to ask if, if somebody, one of your best friend or somebody kills your brother, uh, kills your, your, your relative, close relative, and, and he's standing before the judge. And this guy tells the judge, listen, I've done all these great things. I've built mosques and I built churches and I gave to the poor and I love people and I forgave people. And I did all these wonderful works and these wonderful things way more than I did bad. But, you know, I did kill this guy. But listen, it's just one. It's just one sin. It's just one thing. Can you please forgive me? What would the judge say? And then some people are like, well, it depends on how much money you slip in because there's lots of corruption. But I'm like, let's just imagine if this judge is just and this judge, he judges righteously because God is a righteous judge, a holy judge. And they agree with that because the Quran teaches that very clearly in different things. So if, if, if God, if, the, if someone is standing before God and they're like, this is all the great things I've done and this is just the, the few little sins that I've done. What, what would happen? And then that shows them very clearly because people, they think, uh, Muslims typically think sin's not really a big deal. You just kill a lamb once a year and, and, uh, um, don't eat or, or whatever fast for Ramadan and then you're good to go. Um, so that shows them the seriousness of sin and kind of puts in perspective for them to see, yeah, I, I wouldn't make it to heaven. And then you can tell them, but, Imagine if there was an advocate, if Jesus walked in the room and he said, listen, I'll die in this guy's place. I'll take his place. And that's what happened with us, um, with every single one of us, Jesus Christ. He has already paid the price. He's already, um, he has become our propitiation. If we place our faith in him alone for salvation, we can be saved. And I always leave the ball in their court. I'm like, listen, uh, you can choose to trust Jesus Christ and know 100% for sure that you're going to heaven when you die and have joy and have peace that passes all understanding and have true satisfaction that nothing in this world can offer. Or you can choose to reject Christ and choose uh, to go to hell if you want. And that's your choice. God's given everyone a free will. And I'm, I tell them that several times. You can choose to go to hell if you'd like. I hope you don't. And they always laugh like, oh, I don't want to do that. And um, I'm like, I hope you don't. I love you, and I'm praying for you, and I'm here if you ever have any questions or need anything. And then I, w- I just try to continue to go back to those people if possible. People walk around Africa, and they move from place to place, so it's kind of hard to keep up with people. But I try to get their number, and then I'll text them. Uh, there's like a, a story link that I like to text people if they have WhatsApp, or I'll, I'll shoot them a text. Hey, this is Pastor Nate. If you need anything, let me know. And just kind of, huh? Yeah, that's just an app you can get on your phone. It's called The Story, and it's just like has the gospel story clearly um, with pictures and stuff because a lot of them, so a lot of people can't even read, but it just it's audible and it's in French and Chinese and um, Portuguese and a lot of different languages. So, 
It's called The Story. It's just a, on your app store. You can just type in The Story. And it's just a, it's something that, like, I mean, for me, I just love talking to people. I love to just, if they give me the time of day, if they're interested, I could talk to them for three or four hours. Like this one guy, Watara, came over, this Muslim guy, and, man, we just had a great time going through the Bible and Hebrews, Romans, Genesis, all over the place, and it just ends up being hours and hours, but my wife is asleep, but you can't always do that with, with, with a wife and kids, you know, they, they got to have time and stuff, so, but you can, you can get someone's WhatsApp, and you can send them, you can send them a link, you can send them the gospel clearly, and if they're interested in their language, and if they're interested, they can reach back out to you and be like, hey, I watched that, that's pretty interesting, I want to learn more, and, uh, and just kind of put the ball um, in their court and throw, throw a bunch of lines out there and see, see who bites. <coughs> Anybody else have a question? Question, comment? All right. Good. So when I interviewed Pastor Drew at the middle of my YouTube and I think after I left, you guys did an accelerated YouTube and you guys really broke things down and like started to hate and get better. What did you do? How did you? Yeah, we we uh, we got um, kind of um, we got involved in teaching and preaching at the second church plant before we were really good at, at speaking because the need arose. The church just kind of just popped up. The Lord started it. The Lord gave us guys and people and oh, it started underneath that uh, mango tree and then the Lord opened up a door for us to get some land and building and stuff like that. And so we just started, um, but the, there, there wasn't a man able to teach yet at the time. So we started preaching and teaching three or four times a, a week, but we didn't speak hardly very good French at all, but so we just Google translating, but we, we just did the best we could, and the Lord used that time to help us, but we were, we did form some bad habits, so we, we pretty much had to just cut off all ministry, um, what, what, like you're talking about, to just focus, just kind of go back to only language, did a lot of language school, did a lot of language practice, and at that time, because we went back for um, regional conference or something, so at that time, Isaac was trained, and he was ready, he was the interim pastor at that church and so that was helpful to have someone to to do that and then we were able just to to focus on language go to the services go to the things but not get um, so heavily involved you know ministry can take all of your time and it's exciting and it's something that that was like a little bit difficult you know like you're you know you you love preaching you love sharing the gospel and all of a sudden you're like oh I gotta like you know go back to doing hardcore language school and you know being corrected with conjugation and spelling and writing and reading all the all that technical stuff. So that was kind of difficult, but it was good. It was needed. And it's in the back of your mind, you're like, this is necessary for the long, long, long term. And so um, I'm glad, we're both glad that we took that time um, to, to just focus on the language. I would say for sure, like we did, we went over the LAMP book when we were in the training center, but then we went through deputation and it had been like years since we had looked at that book like 100% all the way, like right before you begin language school, go back and read over that book because there was a lot of stuff that we had that we had brushed over before and learned before years ago. And you think that stuff will stick and it might stick, honestly, but with me, it did not. And I really should have gone into the land book. So and another thing is just getting teachers that have a teacher personality and will really teach you. Um, so we switched, we switched up teachers a couple times. Um, and the last teacher that I had, I loved. And she, um, so everybody would be different. Nate's a talker, and he learns through talking. I learned the best through, like, learning the rules and the patterns and writing and then going out and putting that into practice. 
But if I don't know what's going on when I'm saying it, it's harder for me to pick up. Like I can't just speak and then just it magically is coming out the right way. Um, so we ended up with a really good teacher for me in Awaga, and she was very rigid and had a good, good system in place of like tests and um, going over the rules and explaining everything. Um, but yeah, but I could have probably reproduced that myself had I had studied the lamp book before directly before we went into language school. But I kind of missed the mark on that. Yeah, and whatever stage you're in also will affect how fast you're going to start in the language. Like if you have kids and stuff, you have to be more disciplined with your time and find house helpers and stuff because they can, you know, your time is just split in more different ways. Um, so if like that is to say, if you don't have kids yet, just go and 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 focus hard on getting what you need to get done. And then if you do have kids, you just gotta um, schedule your time to find the balance to to do language school, but more than just language school, get out and talk. The The best way is to, to learn is to talk. And it's true, some people learn differently. Like my wife likes tests and she likes writing and all that, but it's been proven, like if you speak, like our kids, they've never been to school. They've never written. They don't know how to write or read, but they speak English. Why? Because they listen to it and they speak it and they make mistakes and they get corrected and they hear mom and dad talk and other people conjugate the right way. So that's the best way that you learn. And for most people, you have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. You have to get out and talk to people, make friends. And um, if you're, you know, um, just just realize, uh, like, don't worry about what people think about you. Don't don't worry about like most people that they don't think bad about you as bad as you think they do. They especially in Africa, they just would love it if you just talk to them. You know, people relationships are huge. Friendships are huge. And everyone wants to be friends with an American. Um, and so just go out and talk to people. It's very easy to make friends. And even here in America, you can go out and make friends. Just talk to people. People, people are hurting. People need Jesus. People need help. People need a friend. People need love. And we we know love. We we know God. And uh, and Jesus was very. Um, he just talked to people. So that's what we ought to do. And that that's the best way that you can build relationships with people and open doors to share the gospel with them. Yeah, we there was like a evangelism every Saturday, and. Um, yeah, Emily would go out and do her own thing, and then I would take the boys and, and go out with the boys. I like going. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we'd go as a family together, and then Emily would take one, I would take one, and um, and then sometimes I would just take both the boys, just depending on what situation there is, uh, there was. But I like taking a, a baby or two if you have a baby because it just kind of break, breaks the ice even more. You know, people, there's not many. Um, you know, white white babies in in Africa, so it it gets people's attention, and people are like, what in the world? What? And, and other little babies are scared to death of them, and they just start <laughs> they start screaming, bloody murder, like, ah, like like you know, they, like they've seen a ghost or whatever. But then the parents laugh, and then everyone's walls just you know come down. So um, I like taking the kids around, and then also their kids are able to hear Jula or whatever the tribal language is in French, and they're able to adapt to the culture. You got to get the kids out of the house. Um, it's helpful. Yeah, I don't know what. Yeah, and then. It, I had a lot of responsibilities at home, but then it would also be like, <laughs> it'd also be like the ladies' meetings. Like I'd go to ladies' meetings and the kids' club and stuff like that, but you would go to men's meetings and then I would be at home when you're out with the men. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Life is like 100 miles an hour. So Emily. um we practice 
together, I would never get practice because you talk all the time. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Emily had two house helpers. There was a, a lady that uh, focused more on the kids and cleaning, and then another lady that cooked and helped with the kids. And so Emily talked with them a ton, and that is what helped. Uh, they did help, but they did not know French very well. They didn't know French very well, but they still knew it a lot better than we did, and I think that helped um, Emily learn French big time because if you just do language school – you know, it's not very helpful. You got to get out and talk to people. Um, just letting when you're kind of if you're stuck at home, which as a single person you probably should not just you shouldn't have to be stuck at home unless something crazy like COVID's going on. But um, but for us, like having the kids and stuff, or for me being a little bit more homebound, like having people come over, um, especially in Awaga, I feel like we did that. Like we just just would have people around all the time. And even, I grant, I don't know if you remember when you were there, like, we just had, like, seats and literates over there, so there were the two workers, and we would have people in and out, and having the home, kind of even a French space, where, like, you don't always have to be, speak French all the time, but um, seats and literates, so sometimes would hang out, like, it could get on your nerves, but sometimes, like, their work day was supposed to end at, like, one, after we're done with language school, but they would hang out sometime until, like, three, four... And it's just like, <laughs> usually not that late, but, um, but it did help. It did help create like an atmosphere in our home where it's like, oh, we had to speak French because even in our home, these French speakers are around. And we had friends from Awaga come to visit us. I remember um, Olivier and Sandrine came down and they spent a whole week with us day in and day out. And I, that was like, we were only there for like three or four months at the time. And um, he, they came to stay in our house. I didn't know hardly any French and she would just sit there. And I would sit there, and we would just stare at each other, and we're like, how are we going to communicate? <laughs> like, trying to figure out what to talk about, because I could say the most basic things. Um, and then, like, they came to visit us, like, almost two years after that, right before we left for Awaga. Um, they came and stayed with us again for another week, and it was so fun. It was like, you remember when you were here last time, and we were, like, so awkward, and we couldn't talk to each other, and... And so, it, and, but then we could really fellowship and really get to know them, but even having them come and stay in our house, like... So they're there all day, and it, it, made, it would make, like, whole week section off where this is, like, even in our home, we're only speaking French. I feel like that helped, too. We, we spoke French, uh, English to each other, um, but having, having, them, having people speak French in the house, and then we're speaking French to each other, too, when, when other people are there, because you don't, wanna, you don't want them to think that you're, like, speaking about them behind their back or whatever. So because of that, it helped our kids to be able to understand French, and, and then... Nobody speaks English there, so our kids, they had to learn French to speak to the house helpers, and then Jula. One time, Ryan was tiny. He was like a year and a half, maybe. He was, he was, or two. He, uh, our guard, he looked at our guard, and he said this whole long sentence in Jula. Uh, and I looked at my, I looked at the guard, and I was asking him in French, I was like, what in the world did he just say? And he said, he, he said, don't worry, mom's coming, she's in the house, but she'll come out here pretty soon. He told me that that's, that's this whole French sentence in Jewel that Azariah said that I had no idea that he even knew uh, knew that at all. So it was pretty pretty exciting to have if uh, have your kids grow up and, and learning the language. That's important too. So amen. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Nate if you don't mind pass that towards Noah, um, and I'll give you and Emily a break, and then we'll go right back to you. Uh, let me say this: there was a theme throughout the last at least. Uh, couple minutes with language and with evangelism with kids and everything that that Nate and Emily both shared and that was this they didn't make excuses and here would be a great life lesson for each of us don't make excuses find solutions 
And so he said, um, you know, both of them learned language different. You know, uh, Emily said she's more of a structured person. She likes to find the formula and the way. And Nate said, I'm just a talker and go out there. Um, you can find it. And I think they even um, said that they don't do language together. Um, and that's probably good for their marriage and for their sanity, right? Um, there's nothing wrong. But here's the thing. I'm not sure if we could do language. Well, we have kids. We really can't go out uh, on evangelism. They said, well, we split them up and we still took them out. You know, I'm not sure if I can, uh, I know enough language to talk to the people. And he said, all right, we just found a way that we'd learn a phrase and say something. Or she talked to the housekeeper or the babysitter or somebody. He said, uh, the people in Burkina, they don't read. And he said, well, here's a link to somebody who speaks, you know, the gospel in an audio format. In other words, they found the solutions, not the excuses. And life will offer you a bazillion excuses. Here's a, here's a principle for life that you should learn. He that finds solutions will succeed in life. He that maintains with excuses will always have an excuse. You always have a crutch, but you will never learn to walk ministerially, matrimonially, you know, whatever way you want to say, you'll never learn to walk nevertheless run if you always depend on excuses. If I were to ask you, every one of us, we have something in our background that should cause us that we can't do whatever it is. I'm not smart. I don't know. I, I, I had issues when I was a kid. I was abused. Like there's a lot of different things. And I don't belittle absolutely any of those. There, there are rough things that all of us have. But if you cannot get over those things, they will cripple you in your life. So when you, right now, don't make any more excuses. Decide, I'm not going to make excuses. I'm going to find solutions. You say, well, if I was as outgoing as Nate, then I would witness more. That's not a good excuse. If I knew as much Bible as, or if I, you know, that's not a good excuse. Like, uh, well, my parents don't help pay for my, I remember when I got to college, I thought, man, I wish my parents, I had a bunch of friends, their parents paid for them to go to college. I was like, bunch of punks. Here, I'm working at more hours outside than I did school inside. I'm like, I am tired every day. In some of the classes, I was almost like some of you. I slept in some of them. And, uh, and I can tell your name. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, uh, man, it was, it was just hard because you were out working. And I thought, Lord, help me. But you know what? I realized that having to work made me to appreciate more that I was being taught. And all the things that God put in your past, um, did God send the problems to Job? No, but he allowed them. God is not the author of sin, although God does allow things to happen in your life. Um, right now I'm reading a, a biography of a um, person who is just really used of the Lord. And this person said, talked about the sexual abuse that happened from when they were six years old on by... Some, someone in their household, I'm like, Lord, have mercy. She said, you know, so I, I don't remember when they started their mis, uh, ministry, um, they called it, I don't remember, freedom or, you know, um, breaking through the chains or something. Because this person said, you know what, I cannot go back and dwell on all that happened to me. I don't know why God allowed it. So um, that theme through there, at least a theme that the Lord used for me, that uh, Nate and Emily spoke about, they didn't look for excuses. They didn't at least dwell on excuses. There are plenty out there. I mean, they're, you know, just like crazy. They're, they're, they're the gnats in the summer. They're everywhere. 
uh, but don't let those things be your, your your crutches through life. So find the solution and move forward. All right, uh, Noah, and then uh, you go ahead and share. And if anybody's got questions, we'll go towards you, and then we'll go back over to Nate Newman. All right. Okay, let's go quickly to Acts chapter fourteen. Acts chapter number fourteen. We were just, there was a question that was asked like a couple weeks ago uh, from Evans, and I want to kind of visit that just quickly. Uh, Evans asked, uh, "What do you preach on deputation? Um, how do you preach on deputation?" Uh, Brother Miguel, Chase, uh, Ty, Nate, they know way more than I do about this, but it got me thinking because it, um, I, haven't, I haven't prepared a message for deputation in a while. And so that was like two weeks ago. And then this church called out in Ackworth and last Sunday, they're like, Hey, can you preach this? Can you come preach our missions day? And I was like, well, snap. I, <laughs> I didn't want to preach something that was just, that was, that I've been, that wasn't really fresh. You know what I'm saying, Evans? So when you're preaching something, it, it can be old, it can be an older message, but I like to preach stuff that's fresh, stuff that's like God's working your heart up about stuff that God's dealt with you about. So just for ten minutes, quickly, let's walk through. And um, I don't know if this will be helpful to you or not, but I'm really help helping answer your question. Other people can maybe just listen in and maybe take some notes. Um, but when I was reading through the Book of Acts in my daily my devotions, so you know my daily devotions, I was reading through the Book of Acts. Just finished like uh, Jeremiah. And so I was coming out of it. Jeremiah was kind of hard. I didn't have a lot of messages from Jeremiah, maybe a couple. Jeremiah 9 was really awesome. But then it, I kind of felt like this drought. Jumped into Acts a couple weeks prior to this pastor in Ackworth asking me to come preach his missions day. So I was already in Acts. It was like Friday night. This is last Friday. And I was in Acts chapter 14. Um, just reading through. Uh, read Acts 14 that morning. Just kind of reiterated. So a couple things caught my attention in Acts 14. So I said, you know, maybe there's a message here uh, that God wants me to preach. So Saturday night, I just kind of... I kind of pulled this message together and then preached it on Sunday. And it might have been a complete flop. I have no clue. But I preached it anyway. And so I just want to show you, show you my, the mindset that I had going into the, the passage, what I came out with, and then how I presented it. And then maybe it'll help you or not. Does that make sense? About deputation messages, some um, things that maybe if you don't, aren't even on deputation, but messages you can preach to people if you get opportunities. Some of us young guys, if we get opportunities to preach. So just quickly, just hang with me. But Acts chapter 14 um, this is, this is basically my outline. You can write it down if you want to take it, use it, change it, whatever you want to do, but I'm just going to quickly give it to you. Acts 14, um, what I want to begin with when you're preaching to a crowd, especially an older, older generation, um, a church that's seasoned, you want to know what you're talking about. Okay. The last thing you want to do is come in there, not having a clue about the context of the passage, get context, context, context. Because you can go on and preach a, a, a nice alliterate outline, but if there's no context there, then you have no understanding of what you're talking about. And the people out in the crowd know exactly that you don't know. All right. The, by, the, who's that preacher that says, uh, Jeff, what does he say? If there's, um, if there's, if there's fog in the, uh, if there's fog in the pulpit, there's mist in the pew. That's right. If there's fog in the pulpit, there's mist in the pew. And that's a great quote because it's so true. I mean, I've been there, you've all been there. You hear somebody preaching and they're like, this guy has no clue what he's talking about. And so get some context. So here's the thing. Acts chapter 14, you got to understand a little bit of context. Paul and Barnabas, they're on their first missionary journey. They'd just been sent out from Acts 13 from the church of Antioch. Look at verse number, look at verse number one of, of Acts 14. And it came to pass in Iconium that they, that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews. And so spake in a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks believed. All right. So they're coming to another city, Iconium. It, it might do you some good to maybe get some context. Where's Iconium at? Where's it, where's it located? geographically. Because if I can understand where Iconium is located, then I can understand where the Apostle Paul is, is at. So they're sent from Antioch. Antioch's way, 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 way south, okay? Way south of Iconium. Iconium is the region of Galatia. Galatia, oh, snap. That, that's, that's, that, uh, that reminds me of a book we have in the Bible. To the who? 
the Galatians, right? So you got the Galatians. So the whole region of Galatia. So Paul is writing back to Galatia, and these are the believers that he's talking to. So he's in Iconium. Iconium is the chief is one of the chief cities there in Galatia. So they went to the the, the chief uh, the synagogue there, and the the custom the custom of the apostle Paul. Look at verse number one. He came together to the synagogue of the Jews, so spake in a great multitude, both of the Jews and also the Greeks believed. So where do they go first? Where does the Apostle Paul always go? He goes to the Jew first and also to the Greek, right? So he always goes to the synagogue first. That's the manner of his ministry. He goes to the Jews. He preaches in the synagogue. He lets them know who Christ is. He tells them from the beginning who Jesus was, and then people believe. Verse number two, but unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, made their minds evil affected against the brethren. All right, so this is often what happens. When the Apostle Paul goes into somewhere, he preaches the gospel boldly, and then the Jews get really riled up and begin to kick him out. Now, there's, there's a lot of context between verses 1 and, let's see here, verses 1 through um, 9 of just, if you don't have a lot of time, okay, you got maybe 40 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, if the special that the lady's singing goes to 7 or 8 minutes and that cuts into your time, and you're, everything that's happening, you got to be, you, you got a clock in your head. Because if the service starts at 11 o'clock, People want to be out by 12, all right? And if the church starts at 6 o'clock at night, people want to be out by, by about 7. Sometimes you get a country church, they'll go a little bit later, and the pastor will give you liberty. But uh, I would try to, you have that clock in your head. And so if that special, Jesus, thank you, went an extra couple verses, then it's like, all right, that's two or three minutes off, all right? So you're thinking, so there's a lot of context to cover here for me to get to where I want to get. So maybe from verses 1 to verses 7, I'll probably just give a general synopsis of what took place. All right, so Paul and Barnabas came into Iconium as the manner, of their, of, uh, as the manner they, they normally went to. They went to the Jews. They went preaching in the synagogue, got kicked out of the synagogue, and so now they're moving on. Verse number six, um, they were aware of it. So what was going to happen was the, gen- the Jews were going to kill them. They were going to stone them. So they were aware of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe. Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, unto the region that lieth about. And there they preached the gospel. You see that? So what happened? So they were aware of it, and so they, they got out of Dodge. All right, the Apostle Paul wasn't a wimp. He wasn't a sissy, but he, was, he had some common sense. So when he, he found out that they were going to stone him, he left. All right, so he used a little bit of common sense. He left, and where did he go? Lystra and Derby. Snap. I, know, remember, I remember looking at Lystra and Derby. A few chapters from now, the Apostle Paul is going to pick up a very important disciple in Lystra and Derby. Who's that? Timothy, right? Timothy was in Lystra and Derby. So you're making connections in your mind as you're reading this. You're seeing context Okay, Lyconia, Lystra, and Derby. these are Greek cities. How do we know that? Because it, first and foremost, history, just a little bit of, of research will give you that. But also, Timothy, his father was what? A Greek. All right, so these are, these are Greek cities. His mother and grandmother were Jews, but his father was a Greek. So what you're doing is you're giving yourself context. You're giving yourself context to understand, hey, I'm giving myself a platform so I can preach with knowledge. So I can understand what's going on. So we're taking place. He's in Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, unto the region that lies about. And there they preach the gospel. Verse number eight, this great miracle takes place. This is probably where I'm going to dive into my text. Okay, I'm going to dive into my text. Take your Bibles. Let's go to Acts 14, chapter number, uh, verse number eight. We're going to look here and read this story together. So I've already given them a little bit of context of verses one through seven. Okay, so now we're picking up in Lystra and Derby. So now we're diving a little bit into our, pes- our, our passage, our text, okay? Verse number eight, and there sat a man, uh, Lystra, impotent from his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. Uh, the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up on thy feet. And he leaped and walked, and the people saw that Paul had done, and lifted up their voice, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down unto us in likeness of man. All right, so hold tight real quick. I was looking at this passage. 
They're not speaking Greek. What are they speaking? The speech of Lyconia. So there's two languages spoken in this region. Obviously, it's a Greek city-state, and that's the language that Paul and Barnabas spoke, but they started speaking in the speech of Lyconia. This is a, this is a language that Paul and Barnabas weren't af- aware of. So they're speaking, they're rallying up the people, the gods are come down among us. What gods are we talking about? Well, it, in Lyconia, this is Greek mythology. This is, where, this, is, this is what they studied. This is what they loved. Lyconians loved um, the, 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 the really whacked up stuff of Greek mythology. You know, it's kind of resurfaced in our day in culture. You know, there's movies, Percy Jackson, The Lightning Thief, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's kind of gotten some, some um, popularity. But this is what they really believed in. And so when they started seeing this miracle happen, they began thinking, maybe the gods, uh, Hermes and Zeus or some of these guys are come down to us. And so the, this, this little context here of Lystra and Derby, they're starting to think, wow. So they're talking amongst each other. Now, the conqueror's language is what? Greek. That's who conquered them. But their heart language is the speech of Lyconia. Paul and Barnabas didn't know this language. They didn't have a clue what was going on. So let's look, look what happens. Where are we at here in verse number um, verse number 12? And they called Barnabas Jupiter, who's, who is um, Hermes, and, and, um, and Paul Mercurius, which is, uh, you can look at just, just a quick study through Logos or even Google. You'll find out that those two gods are Hermes and Zeus. That's who they are. Hermes and Zeus, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Jupiter, so the priest of Zeus, which was before the city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. All right, so the context is happening. They Now part, Paul and Barnabas are seeing something taking place. They can't hear everything. They don't understand the speech, but they're understanding something's going on. Ready? Let's look here. Uh, which when the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, heard of it, they rent their clothes and ran among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We are also men of like passages you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all the things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left himself, he left on himself without witness and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with the food and gladness. Verse 18, in these, these things sayings scarce restrain they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. All right, and so and then I might go to, down to verse 19. There came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about, he rose up and came to the city. The next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. That's where I'm going to stop. That's my text, okay? So it's basically from verse 8 down to verse 20. It's a lot of verses to cover, but it's all one big story, okay? So we have to follow the context. If I stop, I'm not really doing the context justice. That's the story. See, verses 8 through 20. And then he picks up again, he moves on. So I'm looking in verse 8 through 20. I'm trying to find some things that can really help the people that I'm going to preach to. So what I just kind of jotted down quickly was number one. All right, number one, I see uh, the worship of man. The worship of man. Look at verse number 13 quickly. Verse 13, the Bible says this, um, which was before the city, they brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. So what were the people going to do? They were going to worship, right? They were going to sacrifice. So what do we have? We have the worship of man. So I'm going to sit there. I'm going to preach that for a little bit. I'm going to preach that. I might give some examples. I wish I could take you to Varanasi, India, and show you the worship of the Indians as they, as they sacrifice uh, to, to the god of, of the Ganges River. I wish I could take you to Dalian, China, and I could show you the Buddhist temples where the, the people all around the world worship the gods of plaster. I wish I could take you to Quito, Ecuador, and show you the massive Catholic cathedrals of people worshiping there. I, could, I wish I could take you and show you all the, and you're going to preach that for a little bit, because why? Man wants to worship. The worship of man. This is, the Lyconians were no different than we are today. And so that maybe there's some, there's some passages that I'm, I'm thinking about as I'm preparing this message 
passages like Romans chapter number one, right? Verse number 20. For the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood, you know, that, that uh, by, God's, by the Lord's Godhead, uh, they're without excuse, right? Because they know God. People want to worship, right? Man has a desire to worship. Ecclesiastes 3.11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time, and he hath also set the world in their heart. The word world there means eternity. So every man has a desire in their heart to worship something. So all around the world, there's 7 billion people, close to 8 billion people that are worshiping something. So you're going to preach that. They want to worship something. So where's the application? Uh, the worship of man should drive us, the people of God, to devastation as it did for Paul and Barnabas. Look at verse 14 and 15. When the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, they were aware of this, they rent their clothes and ran among the people crying out. Right? They were devastated. Hey, church, it should leave us devastated. The people, the nations of, of the world are worshiping false gods. It should leave us devastated. I don't rip my clothes today because I'm too cheap. I have to buy a new shirt. But the apostle Paul and Barnabas, you know what they did is they rent their clothes. It was, it, was a, it was a sign of being devastated. They were distraught. They were mourning. They were frustrated. Why? Because they saw that these men, the Lyconians, were worshiping idols. Dear friend, you and I should get de- devastated by the worship of humanity. They're worshiping everything but the one true God. The Indians are worshiping the Hindu gods. The Buddhists are worshiping Buddha. The Muslims are worshiping Allah. The Catholics are worshiping Mary. They're worshiping. Human beings are worshiping, and you and I should be brought to devastation because of the worship of mankind. You can preach uh, Psalms 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, right? The firmament shows forth his handiwork. Day and day utter speech. Night and night showeth knowledge. You start just bringing, bringing passages to memory that you've put there, uh, and then you, then you, you can end with maybe 1 Timothy 2.5. For there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This is what brings us to our second point. Not only do I see the worship of man, but I see the wickedness of the nations. Look at verse number 16. Who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. This is, this is the wickedness of the nations. I'm going to sit here in verse 16. I might preach this for a little bit. When we walk in our own ways, you see that text there? When we walk in our own ways, it always leads to wickedness. It always leads to wickedness. So maybe you're going to draw from maybe Jeremiah chapter 18. Maybe you go back to the, the law of first mention, which would be the, where's the first time the word wicked is ever mentioned in the Bible? Well, it's, it's Genesis chapter 13 with the, with the city of Sodom. What did the city of Sodom do? They walked in their own ways. They went after their own hearts. They desired to do their own thing. So God used the word wicked there. When men walk in their own ways, it leads to wickedness. And so we have to not only see the worship of man, but we see the wickedness of the nations. The, wi- the world is wicked. Any nation, people, or person that turns their own way leads to wickedness. And man, you can sit there and preach that, Evans. You can preach Psalms 14, thir- uh, th- 3, right? They're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Then you turn it introspectly, right? You start preaching personally to people. You've turned from wicked. You've turned from God. I've turned from God. There's, we've all fallen short, right? Romans 3.10. And there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understand it. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone away. And then here's the application. Uh, our wickedness separates us from God. So you preach sin, right? You're, you're preaching the worship of man, but now you preach the wickedness of man. Uh, the wicked shall be turned into hell, according to Psalms chapter 9. Uh, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to their own way. But there's good news. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So you start preaching the gospel there. There's an opportunity to preach the gospel. And then watch this. It leads beautifully. It leads beautifully into the third point. And then as you conclude, right, uh, the witness of God. So not only have the, the, the worship of man, the wickedness of the nations, but then you have the witness of God. Look at verse 17. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness. Hey, church, aren't you thankful for that? Hey, dear Christian, aren't you thankful for that God left himself 
not without witness, in that he did good, he gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Now, church, I know in this context, they're talking about creation, but you and I know today we have a faithful witness. Maybe you turn to Revelation, you go to Revelation, you look at Revelation 1.5, and, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. And you should start preaching Jesus right there. Man, I'm so thankful that we have a witness from God. I'm so thankful we have a witness. A witness, dear friend, is just a testimony. It's just a, it's just a, a testimony. It's, a, it's an ambassador. And Jesus Christ was the testimony of God. He was the revelation of God. And there, that's the point. You can just preach Jesus to this church and just tell them, hey, maybe there's some lost people in this crowd this morning. You preach the gospel. You just walk through. You, ha- you hit missions, right? You still hit missions, but you're really bringing people to the gospel. That's what you want to preach. You want to get to somehow, some way, how can I preach Jesus in this passage? Because every passage of the Bible is going to point to Jesus some way, somehow. All right? And so I know this is a quick just synopsis of, of really hermeneutics, but I don't want to bore you. I'm just trying to give you an example of maybe walking through a passage. What can I see here that's going to lead me to preach Jesus? Because at the end of it, I, I, have, to give, I have to give them something to leave with, and that's going to be Jesus. That's the only thing that's the power. So maybe an application for this text, or this last uh, point number three, uh, he has given us a similar task. Jesus Christ was a faithful witness in that he did good, he was perfect, uh, he made everything right, but he's given you and I a similar task. I remember Acts chapter 1-8, right? And, and, uh, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. The faithful witness did all that he did. He, he was perfect, he went to the cross, he, he, he preached the gospel there, right? But then you turn it around, applications what? He's given you and I an opportunity to be witnesses for him. He's given you and I an opportunity to be ambassadors for him. Hey, dear friend, there's a, low, there's a there may be a, a co-worker at, at work tomorrow that needs to be witnessed to. There may be a, a loved person at Thanksgiving dinner here coming up that needs to be witnessed to. There may need, may, may need to be a friend or, 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 or a, 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 you know, a co whatever it is. You just start preaching that application that not, not only do we have a faithful witness, but he in return has given us the opportunity to be ambassadors for him. And maybe just preach 2 Corinthians 5.17. Right, and that whole passage down to 21, right? We're ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, be reconciled to God. Now then, we're ambassadors for Christ. And then, verse number 21 for he hath made him to be sin, that faithful witness who knew no sin, that we might be in the righteousness of God in him. And so, you can preach that for a second. And so, where's the missions behind this, right? Where's the missions behind this? The nations are still worshiping, church. The nations are still worshiping. Wickedness is still growing. But we have the answer we have the witness of God on our behalf. And watch this, we have been given the responsibility to witness for God on the behalf of those who don't know. And so, yeah, what did you do in this, in, this, in this tiny port? What I tried to do was just lift up missions, of course, because I'm there to preach missions. You're a mission ambassador. Whenever you go into a church, you're going to somehow preach missions. That's why they brought you in. But at the same time, the, 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 the whole answer is the gospel. So you're preaching missions. Yeah, the nations are still worshiping, but there's an answer, and it's Jesus Christ and the missions begins right here in our hometown. The missions begins with, with you and your family, and it stretches to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, would you run with us to the country of Mozambique as we preach this gospel to them? Now, would you go with us as we take the gospel to the millions in, in Mozambique that are worshiping? Their wickedness is great, but there's a great witness that's standing on their behalf, right? So I know there's a quick, quick, quick 10-minute message, but of course you can draw it out. Does that make sense? You draw it out by, by parallel passages. You take passages from all, the, all throughout the Bible, and you just, you just add to it. You add to it. You add examples. I've got different examples here that I've, that I've put in here. Um, there's many examples you can add from your own personal life. You make it personal. But I just wanted to show you just quickly. This was what I typed Saturday night, preached it on Sunday. And I, I really meant I, it might have been a complete bomb. Like I might have just really messed up. 
And it, it might have been okay. I don't know. Just up to the Lord, right? But this is a message that just kind of came, came to my path through daily devotions. And that's why I want you to look at passages and just say, you know, how can I hermeneutically stay true to the context, but then also give, give, a, give some application and maybe a little bit of um, challenge. Okay? okay? All right. Thanks, Brother Jeff. Anybody have a question? Very good. And, and, and amongst his uh, points and amongst his, uh, um, he gave a lot of different small, you know, principles, lessons by which you should be preaching. In other words, uh, you stick with your time. You know, just because you have a message you already know or whatever, you say, I've got to get this example out. If you only have 17 minutes, don't you try to preach your message of 30 minutes and share every one of the same examples. In your head, get rid of those examples. Get rid of that, you know, cut that down or whatever. People want to get out, right? He said that, always bring an application. What's your application? And they said, a good sermon, you, you should be able to write it down in a sentence. What do you want me to do with what you told me? And so he gave his conclusion. His conclusion is people are still worshiping. Man is still wicked. And we are witnesses. I mean, you, so the people, as they walk out, they need to know. You are there for a specific reason. You're not there just to tell them, like, well, my opinion on the, you know, agenda in today's society. Nobody cares what your opinion is. Respectfully, that's why they have a pastor. You are there so that you can share missions with them. Do not try to take the pastor's place. Do not try to, you know, fill them in on your great knowledge and show off. We are there to preach Christ. We're there to lift his name up and give them a burden for missions, right? And so you keep on subject. There was a lot of good information right there just in his message in general. And so if I preach that next week, you guys better shut your mouth while I'm in that certain. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, it's my message from now on. I'll change a word. Um, but uh, there, there's great info. Okay, anybody have a question uh, to Noah about that? And listen, keep a message fresh in your heart. Yes, please do it. I was just going to say, um, in my experience, the best way to prepare for a message is to be daily in your in, in, in your studies. Yeah. And God will speak to you as you're reading it, and he'll he'll um, he'll show you things. Uh, but it's really hard to prepare for a sermon if you've not been daily reading. Somebody calls you, hey, can you preach tomorrow? You've not been reading. And then, oh my goodness, I've got to go through this whole Bible. Lord, what am I going to preach? You start flipping around. Well, that's a difficult task. But if you've been consistent in the Word, as Noah was talking about, he, when, did you, when did you get the, the invitation? Hey, yeah, you've been reading through Acts. The Lord showed you a message in there. And, and I found that true in my life, too. There's been times where uh, maybe I wasn't in the Word as, as much as I should have been. And it was difficult to find that message. But when I'm in His Word, yeah. so... Anybody else want to add to? Neil, please add to. Chase, please add to. I'll just add a, uh, a few things. <clears throat> um, whenever we, we train the guys in, uh, in Columbia, uh, we. Uh, so working on their message was really important, and it and it actually helps you to work on your your message and the way you come across to people. So. Well, if you think, I mean, he did a great job. I think that, I don't know, I, I don't know why he thinks he bombed it, but I thought it was great. Um, 
But uh, but one of the things you want to do is you want to make sure that you like you said have an application. Make sure that your points connect. A lot of times we have different points in a message, and they don't connect. And at the end, you can kind of try and see people's heads. They're like, "Wait a minute, what does this have to do with the message?" And so as you're writing your message, make sure they connect, um, and make sure that at the conclusion everything comes to a um, kind of it all comes together. Uh, that your first point, second point, third point, if you have only three points, that at the end it all makes sense, and, and, and it's just like a quick, like you can see it all coming together very easily in their minds, and it's not like they have to go in and uh, figure out some equation to figure out your message. So I think uh, simple, uh, what, what is that that we say? Keep it simple. Maybe not, oh, okay, maybe that's not good. Okay, that, that's why I did one. <laughs> I, I, I figured it out after I said it. So make sure you keep it simple, uh, but make sure your points connect and in their mind, make sure it's like so simple. Uh, you don't have to make it complicated. God, I think God, God just wants you to preach God's word, his word, and, uh, and uh, God will use it in a mighty way. Many people can make an easy passage difficult. It takes a good preacher to make an easy or a difficult passage to be easily accessible to anybody. And so um, if someone says, good night, brother, that's the basics, or that's simple, like, good, that's a compliment. You are taking, and, and by the way, one of the greatest crimes, in my opinion, is when you take the most beloved and wonderful and marvelous book in the world and you make it boring. Someone should get you and throw you off the Hudson Sailor porch. You know, like, um, do, do it. But I will tell you one thing. If you are not consumed with it, there is no way that you can relate it to somebody else. And uh, let that, it, let me say it this way. If there's no fire in the study, there will be no fire in the, 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 the presentation of it. And so um, get that. I mean, get alone with God. You know, uh, I used to go back in my, um, when I was growing up, we grew up in a trailer. And my dad, um, us boys, were, we, we shared rooms. And, um, it was, there, there was one hall in the trailer, you know. Rooms weren't that big, and so we shared rooms and um, lived out in the country, and my dad believed the only codes to take uh, were the codes that he made, you know. Government ain't going to tell me what I can and can't build, you know, and uh, come out and find me anyway if you can, you know. And so my dad built a little, like, an extra room on the side of the trailer, and it was perfectly built. It was all out of wood, and he painted it so it looked like it was part of the trailer, Except after time, when it settled, trailer was like this, and the room was like this, and after time, it went whoop, you know, and it separated. So I can walk out there, I can see the sun right through, you know, right in the middle. But I would go in there, and I remember I would get like three to five minutes to preach uh, after I surrendered to be a missionary. My pastor said, you're going to be a missionary? Yes, sir. He said, then you need to learn to preach. I said, okay, yes, sir. And so he started giving me things to study, and he would say, preach. And I remember I would prepare it, and I would get so nervous. So I walked back in that little room that my dad made. And the uh, clothes were hung up, uh, which since it's an extra room, it was attached to my room. It was actually not really attached. I had to climb through the window to get to the extra room. Um, but everybody else hung up their clothes in there too. And so I'd walk in there and I'd put my head between the clothes and I would preach as loud as I could the message that God had laid on my heart. And uh, God would fire it up. And I know it's a silly way, but um, I... I would preach that, and I would preach that, and I could imagine. I'd close my eyes, and I could imagine. Sometimes I'd pull my head out of the clothes, you know, and look at my, my message. back. like, all right, round two. You know, stick my head back in, boom, and go out and preach that. But whatever it is, they used to say that um, 
when Keith Shoemaker was on deputation, he was single. He hadn't, he hadn't got married yet. Um, he was single, and he used to drive in his truck. This is, this is what I heard him say. Um, it, it, was, it was said that he would drive in his truck to meetings, and he would imagine that the Burkina Bay were sitting upon his uh, the, the, the dash right there, and he was driving home at night from meetings, and he would preach to the Burkina Bay. And he would say, when I get there, I'm going to preach to him. And he would preach just message after message to him. And it wasn't a, you know, like, you look and say, God's used him in a great way. Look at all the churches. Look at the people saved. Look at the things that are happening. He was preaching to them before he ever met them. And when you get out there and you're up in front of that pulpit, don't you lollygag around. I mean, get up there and preach because you've already preached it in private. You've already had that in your heart and you're like a caged tire. You got, I got to get this out. What's inside there has got to get out. You got to know about this. It's the greatest thing ever, right? And be filled with it and convinced with it. So uh, I appreciate that was that was great meal. Anybody else? Um, Ty, go ahead, please. Uh, just a couple of things. Um, something that Pastor Harley Snowed, uh, he came down a couple of years ago, and uh, he said this, and it really, uh, every time I go to preach, uh, I think of it, but he said, a desire to preach without preparing is a desire to, uh, is a desire to perform. And so... Should we go around and, and, and take it lightly, uh, preparing, you know, 15 minutes before we're preaching? Uh, we're not really there to try to help people. We're there to try to look good. Uh, our goal is to try, to try to get God's message to these people. And um, uh, also, uh, something I, I used to struggle with was I wanted to say everything uh, in the world that I got from my personal devotions. Uh, but remember that you've got to know your audience. You've got to know who these people are. So that, uh, that, that time getting there early and trying to get to know who the, the audience is, is very important uh, because uh, if you know your audience, then you'll know how to preach and you'll know how to help them. Uh, but those are the only two things I've got. Know your audience. You don't preach the same thing to youth that you preach to uh, an old folks home, right? Um, so you say it's the truth. I know, but so is Second Chronicles is the same at Acts. How many times do you preach that one? You know, and so know your audience, right? Know your subject. Study it. Love it. Know the God who's going to empower you to give it out, right? And then uh, know your own tendencies. In other words, it's easy for me to get distracted by things. Um, you know, like we tell our, our dog, we say, squirrel, and the dog, like, he goes up and he goes like that, like he, he runs to the door, he's ready to go out. He, the word squirrel, I mean, he goes nuts at it. I can't blame the sucker, you know, because, I mean, um, I have the same tendencies, you know. Back door opens and I'm like looking like, you know, like um, the baby's crying or like you stare. Like if you are preaching, I remember being in Argentina, and uh, I don't mean to be crude. Um, they would, especially at the beginning, later God began to bless and uh, we made different things to help, you know, help them, different rooms. But they would breastfeed in public front row, I'm preaching, and all of a sudden, you know, breastfeeding, I'm like, Lord, have mercy, so I'm like going, I'm preaching to the other aisle, and here they go, and I'm like, oh, God, please speak the heart, and I'm like, I'm like, I can't do this, I remember one time, a dog come running in our building, and he ran around the entire, we had two different rows, he ran around the entire thing once, he ran around the entire thing twice, and this was in, you know, within the first year, I didn't have ushers, and I didn't have, at the second run around, I'm like, somebody help me, get the dog out, you know? I've had neighbors throw uh, rocks upon our tin roof 
when we'd start a church, just to, and other neighbors would turn their music up loud. I'd have chickens that would scream. And I could tell you, you know, all kind, we had a lady walk in, and uh, uh, she starts speaking in tongues. Um, and, like, I'm trying to preach. I'm like, Lord, have mercy. And so I, I did this. I'm like, um, all right, everybody standing up. We're going to sing, standing on the promises of Christ. And I'm like, Lord, I got to get my head back together. You know, like, the people were probably fine. I was the one who was like, oh, what's going on? You know, like, there's all kinds of distractions. Kids are going to cry. Things are going to happen. Know yourself. So know your subject and know your Lord and know your people. Know yourself. What distracts you? What will get you off? You say, I can preach without notes. At least get some kind of mile markers that will give you little points to know where you're going. Because if you look at something, you're like, now what was I saying again? Like, if you don't know what you're saying, don't expect them to know what you're saying, you know? They're like, I'm on my third, you know, sleeping session, dude. Just continue on. Wake me up when we're done. You know, so um, know yourself. And uh, and so that you can get back on track. As you're like, all right, you know, switch up things. Pray in your heart. Uh, look, God, when you get up on that pulpit, God, I'm getting ready. You get up on the platform, God, I'm getting ready to share the greatest news and believe that that's the greatest and most needed news at that moment. Share it. And uh, don't, don't get distracted. Don't be, if you studied it, don't change up last minute. You know, sometimes I, I look and I'm very tempted to change messages. And maybe the Lord might have you, but be careful because you might change up and all of a sudden you just throw a, you know, and a, a wrench in the thing and you can't say what you're wanting to say. So hurry up and get up there. You know, some people start out with jokes and different things. That's fine if that's your personality, but don't try to be something that you're not. You know, like, uh, I'm not, you know, just, if, by the way, if you have to explain a joke, it's not a good joke. You know, like, so just, you know, get up there and um, uh, I, I'll, I usually get up there just the way I fit in. Like, uh, open your Bibles to Psalms chapter number 32. Now, as you're opening your Bible, my name is Jeff. I'm glad to be here. So you could start, but I have to immediately get in there because I know me and I'll get distracted and I'll get off and like know you and what distracts you and what, you know, discourages or whatever. You, you got to get the word. Were, were you going to say something? It's already been said many different ways, but uh, one of the things that I, I like to do and I think is very important to do is just, just bathe every part of it in prayer. So, you know, when, when Noah was talking about from the very beginning, you get into the word of God that night before or whenever it is, or, uh, you know, go through your notes and go through the word and just ask God the whole time uh, to, for him by, by his spirit that lives within you, that he would guide and direct you through the message. You're doing the studying, but you're allowing him to do that all the way through. It's not like, oh, God, step aside. Let me, you know, get to work here. You know, Scott, I need you in every single part. This is a spiritual work. This is, I need you to work in this. And then, and then just before the meetings, you know, some of the, it's talking about deputation in particular, and oftentimes you'll use the same message over and over, but every time bathe that message in prayer. Don't go there thinking, oh, I got this. You know, I'm just going to do a message I've already done before. It's a whole different group of people. It's a different day, and you need God to show up, and you're asking him. You're not going there. I mean, obviously we know the reason why we're initially visiting the church is to uh, see if they want to partner with us, but that day, that moment, you are there to minister to them. And so you need God to, to work through you, and uh, so ask God to do that. I mean, so many times I would, I would drive, you know, eight hours to get somewhere on a Wednesday. I show up, and, and then I realize, you know, God, I drove all this way. I need you to work today. I mean, I need you to do something. I, I didn't do this just because I like driving. I wanted to. I want you to work tonight and just beg God to help you through that whole process. So through the message, 
and, and every single message. Don't think that, oh, I know this message. I've preached it, you know, a hundred times. And so, you know, it's no big deal. No, every single time you want God to show up. And so just bathe it in prayer. Because that's, you know, like we talked about last week, PMI. He prayed and asked God to work all throughout. And that's what we need to do as well. Amen. That's excellent. Anybody else want to share? Okay. Um, when it comes to a passage, guys, don't don't feel like just because the passage has been preached that it can't be preached again. Like, I can't tell you how many times we've heard, like, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, like, preached over and over and over at Right in Deputation. But it's just there's so many ways to go with a certain passage. And uh, so many different, like, even in one passage alone, you can pull different different perspectives and messages out. And so sometimes as a, as a young preacher, remember at the very beginning, I didn't want to have the tendency to go to familiar passages. That's very, very um, arrogant. It's very conceited, right? It's like, oh, I don't want to preach a passage that everybody's familiar with. That's pretty stupid is what it is. Just preach passages, but there's so many different perspectives and ways that you can go with it as long as you stay true to the text. Like you don't want to be, you don't want to be stupid and like go a different direction with it, with the text. But if you stay true to the text, I mean, there's so many ways to go with a passage that's familiar, like good, good, familiar passage that people are aware of. And um, you don't have, secondly, I want to say, you don't have to use alliteration. Alliteration is a tactic that some people use because it's easy and it helps, in my mind, it helps me flow through my, my text and my, my like uh, bullet points, but you don't have to use alliteration. Some of the best messages I've ever heard are not alliterated messages. So sometimes, you know, we can sit here and it's like, well, if it doesn't work in alliteration, then I'm just going to throw it out the window. It's just not true, okay? It's not always, all the time there's going to be alliterated messages. Uh, I don't think Nate's ever preached an alliterated message before, and he preaches very good messages. In French, it doesn't even Right, yeah. <laughs> Different languages. <laughs> so um, if you want to go alliteration in English, it helps for some people, and especially in our context. But I'm serious. I mean, throw alliteration out the window if you want to. Don't get so, I think sometimes we can use it as a crutch. Like if it's not alliterated, well, I don't even know if there's going to be power there, you know. There is, okay. The power is in the text. Sometimes it'll alliterate for you. Sometimes, like quickly, verse 17, if you're still on that passage, I saw this just a second ago. I was like, maybe this will work. But look, in verse 17, nevertheless, he left, left on himself without witness and that he did good. And he gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So that text alone alliterates itself. You've got goodness, you've got given, and you've got gladness. That'll preach. You know, that's, it alliterates itself right there. There's three G's if you want to go alliteration, but all those three G's will preach. God has been good to us. Think about the goodness of God in our life. Think about what he has given. Of course, in this passage, he's given us rain, but he's given us his only begotten son as well. You should preach that. And then he's full of our heart with gladness. Man, because of his goodness and because of what he's given, we have gladness. We should be glad Christians. We should go around and share the gladness with other people. There's so many ways to go with the text. It's unexhausted. Just because a preacher preaches a passage does not mean it's one and done. Does that make sense? Like in this passage alone, there's probably 20, 30, 50 messages someone could preach that are way better than anything. You know, it just makes sense to stick to the passage and let the passage guide. So I just want to mention that just quickly, alliteration, and then, um, yeah. That's good. Yeah, and what works for one might not work for everyone. God made you unique. Um, the, the, don't forget, um, there's power in the word, not in the preacher. You know, there's only power in the preacher as we give the word, right? And, and so don't think it's about you. We are nothing more than earthen vessels. Muddy, clay, dirty, but... Praise God, we can be filled and used by Him. Don't ever forget that. The moment we get high on our horse and think we're about to fall off. Um, let, you know, let God use you. Uh, what is, um, Grant, you might not remember, but you preached probably uh, 
two months ago or so, uh, Micah 6, verse number 8, I think, and walk humbly before your God. May we all walk humbly before our God. Like, it's not about you, man. Um, and I, you know, this message, no, the power is not, you know, the power is in the word. And so if, if it helps you to alliterate or bring at this point or five points or one point or three points or however, praise God. But it's the power is there, not in yours. So, so don't worry so much about that. All right, anybody else um, would like to uh, share another thought about preaching? We'll, we'll close out with that one. We just got a few minutes left. Um, Nate, you want to say anything about preaching? You guys are uh, ministering in another, what's the language you're going to, in Benin, is it? Fongbe. Really French or? Fongbe. Yeah, so they, yeah, uh, French and Fongbe. Yeah, but their hard language is Fong, so they love that. Okay. Fongbe, yeah. So, yeah, we can, so we can preach in French. Like, I preached in French before I left at that Baptist church close by, um, and uh, in French. Um, but they they prefer, like, if they speak to, to me, they'll speak in French. But if they speak to each other, they're going to most likely speak in Fongbe. So we'll spend the first year learning that. Um, or two, depending, but, yeah. The language school teacher, he said, if you work really hard, he said, you can you can be able to preach uh, in font uh, f- uh, without a problem within a year to a year and a half, so. Amen. We'll see. God bless you, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love preaching on the mission field because everything is new. Everything is gobbled up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a wonderful thing. Here, you know, like, uh, I'm more of a Paulus than I am a Paul. You're like, come on, man. Like, you know, this is just silly. And sometimes, um, and a missionary can fall in a, if a missionary is not careful, he can fall into the silly game of the devil of preaching messages to be accepted by other missionaries and other people back home. We don't preach for other people. We preach for Jesus and to help other people. And so... Uh, man, just keep it simple, you know? I mean, uh, preach to them, and that, that's it's a wonderful thing. All right, anybody else want to say uh, anything else about preaching? We've got two minutes, and we're going to close this baby down. All right, anybody? I remember preaching in Burkina in, in French um, to the second church plant, and like you said, it's so exciting because they're like on the edge of their seat. They like They've never heard these stories before. And they're they're so excited. They're you know some of them are baby Christians just got saved. Some of them aren't even saved. They're just going to church because someone invited them to. But they're they're very hungry um, and and starving for the message. So it's very exciting to to preach on the mission field and to preach another language um, is is fun too. You know, uh, one of the beautiful things about being a missionary, you don't have to be a you know tremendously amazing, talented, bright, and all you know all the other things. Um, when it's so dark, any little light breaks the darkness. And you are nothing more than a, you know, gospel carrier. And as you say, uh, man, I'm like, I'm nothing compared to, you know, whatever good preacher you know. Like, you don't have to be. You know, they don't know who he is, and they probably wouldn't listen to him anyway. They're listening to the one who's there and learning the language and loving them and, you know, there to serve God. So what a wonderful day. I, I remember many times I would... Uh, preach different things. And, uh, and in my mind, I'm thinking, I heard this from so-and-so. And uh, they're like, that's good. And I'm like, well, you should have heard it the first time. It was really good when that other guy preached it. Like, I'm the, but they have no idea. It's like, it's a wonderful thing, you know? Uh, go out there and preach. And it's a beautiful thing to 
to preach God's word, especially to, to hungry people. So what a wonderful thing. All right, anybody else? Uh, five, four, three, two. All right, one, all right, let's close out. Um, I want to say thank you uh, for being in class. And um, I think this we got, I'll put it out, but I think it's two more weeks. We have another guest speaker, um, which will be Brother Wayne Cofield. And uh, looking forward to that. Um, that's the very first week of November. So I think we've got two, poss two Fridays, possibly three Fridays. I'll, I'll send it out um, so that you could see it. But uh, I appreciate this very much. Nate and Emily, thank you both uh, for making this possible. And uh, uh, thank you for being with us, the other teachers. Um, thank you, all of you guys, uh, for your time and teaching. Uh, students, do not forget, please, send your notes to Julie, all right? And uh, if you don't send your notes to Julie, she can't count you as present for the class. And so make sure you do, even if you said, last Friday I forgot, like, all right, send them back to her, um, you know, so that she can count you as present. Um, we will be ordering, as I said, and I'll try to send that out. We'll be ordering some more shirts and uh, different merchandise, and so I'll send that stuff out if you would like to have part of it. Anybody have a, a question or comment right before we close down? Anybody? Five and a four? And a three and a two. I think our our next, um, we just had a youth for the gospel. The Lord really blessed it up in Ohio. It was a good, it was a good time. Good group, young people, good spirit. Our next one is in Dalton. And that is, it, is that uh, next Saturday? It's a week from this Saturday, right? It's a week from Saturday. Um, talk to Dr. Jim, um, Jim Roberts. Send him a text or an email. If you plan on going, um, you know, or even think because, uh, we would love to have you in the lineup of uh, of helping out in some area, whether it's a testimony or whether it's a preaching slot, whether it's helping with games or helping with, you know, man the table, the display table or whatever it is. Uh, we could use your help. And that's a wonderful thing. Um, these were made. These are, you know, at least uh, going on so that we can be praying. God's the one who calls missionaries. God's the one who calls his servants. We pray that God will send some of them that he's calling to us. And so we don't want to sit idly by. We want to be out there throwing the, the net in and saying, God, if you'll fill her up, uh, we'd love to help them get to the mission field. And so this is one of the ways that we can do that. So if you could be there a week from Saturday, please tell Dr. Jim. He'd appreciate that. All right. Tight. Why don't you, you start this out? So why don't you close this out in a word for prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to uh, hear some wonderful real-life uh, challenges and challenges. Um, praises, Lord, about what you're doing in the life of the Wilkerson's, and we just thank you so much for how you protected them. God, thank you that they have persevered uh, despite uh, the storms that uh, Satan put in their way, Lord, uh, uh, that just preventing them, because there's a dark country there that needs the gospel, Lord, and I'm grateful that they persevered, and they're continuing to persevere, and I just pray that you would strengthen them, encourage them, and Help them, Lord. Thank you for the encouragement today and, and all that they uh, taught this class, Lord. And there's people in this room that that thought, thank you, you know, I, I don't know how they thought about it, but they're going to need these words, Lord, in the future. And I pray, God, that they would take them to heart, uh, that they would apply them and help us all, Lord, to do that. We need you and, and we're so grateful that um, we get to serve you, God. What a great privilege it is to do that, Lord. We we truly are blessed, Lord, a blessed group of people that get to serve you with our lives. Um, everyone has difficulties, but we get to serve the God of heaven, and it matters for all eternity. And I just thank you for that, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.